I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as found footage, creeps, franchises, and director's bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. So we're finally doing this again. Yeah. We had the one long break, and then we had a second long break. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry for the wait, guys, and hopefully this is a fun one for you. It's definitely a creepy one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But here we are on August 8th, recording the Creep franchise episode for you. So here we go. We had fun researching this one like three weeks ago. I was like pumped (laughs) to do it when we were going to record it three weeks ago. But I had a really strong feeling on how fun of an episode this was going to be. And then now here we are weeks later, and hopefully we have the same energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still going to be fun. It's going to be fucked up, but it's going to be fun. (laughs) I'm going to try to keep the housekeeping to a minimum because... We both have a lot of stuff going on right now, and and who wants to hear us cover a month worth of random news? Because I don't want to do it. Just a few things that jumped out to me that I thought looked kind of neat is 35th anniversary of Labyrinth, and it's going to be back in theaters, remastered around the 11th, I think, of September. Don't quote me on that, but if you go to Fathom Events, you can find it. So we're both going to go. I'm trying to see if my kids want to go because it kind of freaked them out when they <laughs> watched that. But while we were looking at that, we also saw that October 11th, Scream is getting re-released in theaters by Fathom Events as well. So definitely going to have to go see that one because that was such a memorable time in the 90s. I want to relive it. Yeah, I only got to see from two on in theaters. I never saw the first one in the theater. <laughs> the found footage movie Chronicle, which is kind of relevant to this episode with the the found footage theme it's getting a sequel and i was talking to josh before we started recording he hasn't seen it yet but that's the uh found footage kids get the superpowers movie but it gets real dark real fast Oh, okay i don't know where they can go with a sequel but i'm willing to check it out <laughs> we finally have a couple horror movies coming out soon with don't breathe two next weekend yes and i think Candyman's coming out really soon yes because i've been seeing the trailers on hulu and from the new trailer tony todd is Definitely in the movie. Sweet. So I still assume that the new guy is the baby from the first one grown up. And he's maybe kind of getting twisted to be the new Candyman. But Tony Todd's at least doing the voice work and they will not show the face of Candyman in the trailer. So these sound like good things. These sound like good things. Here's hoping. (laughs) Stranger Things season four. We all knew it was going to come out next year, not this year. But at least they finally announced that it's coming out next year, not this year. So we have that. And as a couple little fun things I saw, we have the Lego Star Wars Halloween movie coming out on Disney Plus. <laughs> and the Christmas one was so batshit crazy out of nowhere. I'm kind of hoping they go that route so that I can have a little bit of horror with my uh, with my Star Wars this season. Okay. And I got in the beta for Back for Blood, and I've gotten to play that a lot. And as a huge Left 4 Dead fan, it's nice to have the crazy shoot 'em up zombie game and then get to flip around and play as the zombies and kill the players. Oh, nice. It's been a blast. (laughs) But without us talking about six weeks worth of news that we've missed, I think that was the stuff that was really neat to me. So I'm going to stop there. But I think Josh had some Halloween Horror Night news to share. Yeah, the only news I ever share, as of last night, my trip is officially booked. We're up to four official house announcements. So Beetlejuice, The Haunting of Hill House, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, again, and uh, The Bride of Frankenstein Lives. Now, based on props that have already gone up, there's already like a speculation map like there is every year. We think we've got it pegged on what everything's going to be, but we're not one of those podcasts. Go check out one of those if you're going to hear about it. But uh, yeah, really excited. Uh, 30 years, 30 fears. Hopefully it really fucking happens. 
Yeah, with the way things are going right now, it's, it's so up in the air with big events, stuff like that. So I hope you guys get to go. I unfortunately am not going to be able to go again, but for me, I really would have only wanted to see the Haunting a Hill House out of that list. I mean, Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre would have been kind of cool, maybe, but... Right now, Beetlejuice is still top of my list because I got to see some of the shit from the house from last year and what they did with the tribute store, and I'm just happy to go do something. Right. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I love me some Beetlejuice, but if it's going to be like the first time I go to Halloween Horror Nights, I want to see some scary shit, you know? <laughs> I don't really have any announcements, Josh, other than, God, I hope this episode eventually comes out. You got anything? Uh, we're late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we covered that one. And before this intro drags out way too long, let's just go ahead and do an abridged version of what we watched. <laughs> Only the relevant stuff this time. I've watched all four episodes of American Horror Stories that have came out up to this point. Okay. It's fun overall just watching them. They're entertaining. But really, the first one I liked because it was a good... Return to the murder house. Then the second one's still the same story and it kind of gets overplayed. Yes. The third one wasn't bad. No. It was like a filler episode of something, but an entertaining one. And the fourth one with Billy Lord comes out fucking swinging. And I love that episode. So those two are my favorite episodes. Okay. One and four. And I don't think I've watched anything else horror related because I've been working like 60 hours a week, <laughs> but I did this weekend manage to get in the back for blood beta and I played an unhealthy amount of hours of that. And it has lots <laughs> of zombies and blood in it. So it's kind of related. What have you done or watched? We went and saw escape room tournament of champions. Okay. Everything wrong with a sequel is in that movie. Hard pass. Okay. I've, even if you love the first one. I passed on the first one. So. Yeah. No, it made the first one look awesome. I've got this in my notes, so I don't know if we brought this up on the last episode, but you know, that was like four years ago. Fear Street 1666. That was not out yet as of recording. I do not believe. So okay. yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That was fun. Yeah. Um, it I, really tied all three movies together to elevate all of them to be better. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And once it goes back to, like, there's some stuff that could have been done way quicker in the past when we're in that part of the third installment. Once it gets back to the 90s, it, like, saved it for me. Right. As far as the third installment goes. But it made the whole thing feel like a complete package. Yeah. And I hope it does well enough that we can have more R.L. Stein shit like that. Yeah. Because that was fun. Blood Red Sky. I wanted to see that. Is it any good? <laughs> and is it a reader? It is, it is not a reader. Okay. Thank God. Um, and it's not poorly dubbed. Okay. Um, the kit, so it is dubbed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. It looks like a German flick. Yes. Okay, the, okay. Yeah, native language is German. I, I think you're 100% right on that. Uh, the English dub is good. It's, I don't know how much you know about it. I don't know how much is shown in the trailer. I don't even remember if I saw a trailer. I feel like I might have, but it seems like I would have known it was German. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just know that there's some hijackers on a plane, and there happens to be vampires on the plane as well. And there's like a mom-son story happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how it's presented, and that's kind of what it ends up being. But okay. how we get there is very interesting, and I don't want to say anything more okay. than that because it might spoil it. I'm not going to lie. About two-thirds into the movie, I did fall asleep. And okay. then woke up for the very end, so the wife had to fill me in on what I missed. But uh, a fun movie. I thought it was going to be like, oh, great, that's fucking snakes on a plane with fucking vampires. But it was actually pretty good. Okay. I'm going to have to check it out. And I watched a whole bunch of shit that isn't horror-related. So uh, that's all I got. All right. Let's move on. I do have some uh, updates and corrections because it's us. When Josh mentioned the foundation that was restoring George Romero's films, it's called Garf. 
the George A. Romero Foundation. Hey, so there, there you go. go. <laughs> we didn't have the height for Tom Noonan, who was playing Frankenstein's monster. He is also six foot five to match Dracula. He just also had the giant head and the giant platform shoes on like he was a member of Kiss. Oh, okay. Lethal Weapon released on March 6th of 1987 and the Monster Squad released on August 14th of 1987. So I really am unsure why they didn't go with the, from the writer of Lethal Weapon on the marketing. They could have. Speaking of the marketing, I mentioned the wanted posters for Monster Squad, and I believe I incorrectly stated them as the movie poster. They were actually literally just pre-release marketing material on billboards and when you'd get the cardboard cutouts way before a movie came out and stuff like that. The actual poster for the movie is what everybody sees on the VHS and DVD and Blu-ray cases. So. Yeah. But that uh, crappy wanted marketing was still crappity. Yes. And crappy. <laughs> <laughs> And I caught in editing that I said Frankenstein's monster had the bolts on his forehead in the monster squad to not look like the universal version. And while that's a hilarious thought, I meant to say his temples. <laughs> Apparently, I don't care about the difference between a forehead and a temple. <laughs> <laughs> and when we were talking about Alucard and figuring that out and this and that, Castlevania 3 came out December 22nd of 1989. So it was, in fact, after Monster Squad. There you go. So maybe Monster Squad did invent the Alucard thing. I don't know. <laughs> and I was talking about the monster toy. It was called My Pet Monster. So you can find them if you look them up online. They were not only toys, they were also a cartoon series. And Hasbro recently acquired the rights in 2018. It's kind of recent with, you know, pandemic times involved. So hopefully we see something from that. And the character from Labyrinth that Josh and I blinked out on is Ludo. <laughs> Smells bad. But that's it for me. What do you got, Josh? I got uh, something I got stuck on <laughs> about the whole Universal Dracula thing. Yeah. So, so the marbles were rattling around in there. I just didn't get the right two together at the same time. Um, so, of course, Dracula being public domain uh the character was immediately especially in the states because the original book was never copywritten in the states um what i was getting confused with is universal after having bella lugosi get the film rights agreed to with the stoker family universal bought bella lugosi's own likeness rights away from him as the portrayal <laughs> of dracula and that's what i was stuck on because they licensed that out later and uh the family after he died even sued universal like hey you're making money off of like our family members likeness that's terrible like whoa 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 as Dracula and took it to court and the family lost. And that's what I was stuck on was universal owning the likeness rights of Dracula as portrayed by Bella Lugosi. Right. 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 And they do in fact own that through the investigating I did. And Dracula is in fact open domain due to that copywriting issue. And that's why we get Dracula in Marvel comics and yep. Castlevania games and BBC shows and Francis Ford Coppola movies, because you can use Dracula. You just can't look like Bella Lugosi. <laughs> Not even if you're in his family. Right. <laughs> Right. That's fucked up. <laughs> and the only other thing I want to add, we had a user that both emailed us and tweeted to us about the Monster Squad TV show from the 70s. And he was shocked that we didn't mention it. And I didn't mention it because it wasn't really relevant. It does have the same name and it had Dracula, Wolfman and Frankenstein's monster in it. But they were, if I remember correctly, wax statues that came to life and fought crime. Sounds like a bad creep show episode. Right, right. <laughs> it was like a kid superhero thing. And we had it in the notes. It just didn't make the episode because it wasn't like a spinoff or anything. Now, I do wonder if they got the idea for the name for the movie from that show, though. Huh? But I never saw either one of them mention that in an interview. But between the interviews I watched with Shane Black and Fred Decker, 
as well as the documentary, they didn't mention the Monster Squad show at all, which almost makes me think it's a guilty conscious thing, right? <laughs> they can't talk about it because it's still under litigation. <laughs> exactly. It's non-disclosure agreement involved. <laughs> but if you see that on IMDb while looking up the movie or anything, that's why there was a TV show with the same name that had the same open license characters in them. But enough about old episodes that came out six months ago. You give us too much credit. <laughs> it's not that bad, I know. But let's dive into the new one where we're covering the Creep franchise. You can't really talk about the Creep franchise without going into Mark Duplass. No. <laughs> but I don't really want to make it like a whole Mark Duplass episode <laughs> either. So I'm going to be a little brief here. Many of you have seen him in movies. I guarantee you, even when I say his name to people and they don't know who I'm talking about, and I show a picture, they'll start naming shit that he's in, right? They just don't know his name. And he kind of likes it that way. And I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. But a lot of people know him from The League, which was a funny show, and Room 104 and Togetherness, which he makes, yep. right? And he was on the Mindy Project with his brother, and that was pretty hilarious. And almost all of these projects he made with his brother, Jay Duplass. Yep. And I always like talking about Mark Duplass because I'm pretty sure he went to school for acting, and he got into acting first, but he's primarily a filmmaker now. And his shows did so well on HBO that he basically has a standing agreement where he's allowed to release this many things on HBO. Nice. And they don't ask questions. And he also has it with Netflix. And that's how Creep was able to get made, right? Like, he has this pull because he's made some badass shit. And I may or may not have mentioned him. I feel like I did a really long time ago in a previous season. But he made a short on YouTube called This Is John. And okay. it, it's worth watching. It's like seven minutes long. And it's basically him coming home from work and he has no voicemails and he's sad. So he's trying to keep re-recording. Hey, this is John. Oh, yeah. As he's getting hammered, thinking that if he has a more friendly voicemail recording, he'll get some messages, right? <laughs> and it's kind of funny because that, I don't know, that's kind of a vibe you get out of this film. Yeah. That we're about to go into or these films right here. And that kind of really helped propel his writing and directing and, and creation credits like by making that short film because it won an award and stuff. And he really likes to help new filmmakers with his pull that he has. And that's how we get to, to the films we're about to cover. And his brother probably had something to do with this movie coming out. I never see him actually talk about Jay doing it, but it seems like they're not <laughs> separated very far and i believe they've won some awards for some of their hbo shows recently like they okay. they make high-end shit but mark duplass doesn't like the idea of being super famous right for acting and i saw one interview who's making a joke about being in something with chris pratt or he could have and he decided not to do it and he's like and chris pratt's doing his own thing nobody should feel bad for chris pratt because he's rich <laughs> and famous now right but he he says every time he is in a high profile movie and it launches, he has two or three weeks, which really uncomfortable going out in public with his wife and children. Yeah. Right. And he just doesn't like that. Okay. But he likes making money from doing film. So <laughs> you can do behind the scenes work and do that. And, and honestly, he has played a very wide range of characters. And I think he's a great actor that he's about our age too. I think he's a few years older than us, but yeah. I feel like he could do a lot more acting stuff if he wanted to, but I think he likes the place he's in and being able to make creative projects that he wants with friends and i was really shocked when i heard about this movie and heard that he was the star in it because i was like yeah he was a little weird when i'd watch mindy project episodes with my wife but he was just like goofy weird with him and his brother i couldn't really picture him being a killer and then you watch the movie and you get to see him play this crazy guy and i'm like fuck he's a creepy crazy guy right <laughs> But there's a little bit more information I have on how the movie got made, and I'm going to go through that as, as I get into the movie. So, like I said, I'm covering Creep. came out in 2014. 
It was directed by Patrick Bryce, who wrote and directed The Overnight, some episodes of the Room 104 series, and Creep 2. He's got a couple other little shorts in there, but that's kind of where he started here. Okay. Because it's fairly recent movies we're talking about right here. And it was written by Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass, okay? And and like I said, Mark Duplass is the creator, writer, and director of Togetherness, Room 104. He acted in Togetherness, Room 104, in The League, and The Mindy Project, and he does everything with his brother, Jay. And he's done several large movies that I didn't mention. Hell, he's in The Lazarus Effect. Like, that's, that's like the oh, only yeah. other horror movie I can think of that he's in. And the cast is just Patrick Bryce <laughs> and Mark Duplass. That's indie right there, man. Right. And they had a friend that helped with editing and whatnot, and some other people kind of stepped in, and I'll get to that in a second. But like I stated, Mark Duplass likes to help first-time filmmakers get started, and when he met Patrick, they became instant best friends. Patrick's now wife was Mark's nanny. Yep. And Patrick had just gotten out of film school, and they had moved into town, and he would come over to pick up his wife or to hang out, and they just kind of became fast friends and started talking about ideas for films. And Mark had seen this documentary that Patrick had made as his thesis project for film school. And it was about the last 35 millimeter porn theater that's in Paris, right? Okay. And Mark liked how he's doing this like really slow, artsy fartsy, drab documentary thing. But he goes and meets this guy, and the guy just instantly opens up to Patrick, like their best friends, and starts telling them everything. And he's like, wow, he's really approachable behind that camera. We could do something with this. Oh, okay. And they both admit to being big people watchers. They like to watch all the weird shit going on with everybody around them and come up with theories and ideas about it. <laughs> and they liked two-person movies that were very character-driven. So they wanted to kind of do something with that, and they originally had an idea, let's do something about a weird Craigslist encounter. Okay. Right? Because they both started telling stories about, like, it doesn't matter if you're buying or selling something, what happens when you meet somebody on Craigslist, right? Yeah. And Mark had previously had an idea for a short movie about a guy dying of cancer in a hotel room recording himself, and it was going to be a solo piece. And he says that he pretty quickly realized it was going to be a bad idea and scrapped it, but he held the thought, right? And he mentioned that to Patrick, and they're like, hey, if we mix this with the Craigslist adventure idea, we could come up with something. Okay. And they originally set out to make a movie called Peach Fuss. And it was basically what they call a sweet, dark comedy about two guys finding each other through Craigslist or something and just becoming fast friends and having like a weird day together. Okay. okay? Imagine the peach fuzz mask was probably still involved. Like I like to dress like a werewolf, you know, who knows? Right. Yeah. And they set out with a five page outline, no script, no screenplay. It had scenes and okay. the scenes they said were as specific as Joseph drives Aaron's car and they talk. <laughs> Joseph takes Aaron upstairs and says, Hey, I'm jumping in the bathtub. And then it's Mark just starts fucking talking and Patrick has to react and they just kind of go back and forth. And it's, it's improv at that point. Right. Okay. Now I'm sure they would record it. Oh, that's awesome. Tweak it. And then go back and do it. And that's how you get your final cuts. But they filmed that over about six days. I want to say I could not find where I found this. Right. But I want to say it took them like 18 plus months to shoot the final film. But it's because they were so busy doing other shit. They did yeah. it in pieces. But they took the five-page outline, and over the course of six days, I think they said, shot Peach Fuzz. And Mark says that Peach Fuzz represents about 50% of what's in the final film. Okay? Okay. And they showed it to some friends to get ideas and bounce off of them and just go back and reshoot some scenes. And some scenes had multiple versions. They just kind of do it and see where they're going to go from there and see how people liked it as they built this raw thing into a film. And as they continued to show people, 
their friends would latch onto the darker scenes and say, hey, I want to see more of that. I want to see it go darker and more in a horror. And they actually both resisted it. They wanted to make their sweet, dark comedy. But as they started taking suggestions and doing it and seeing how creepy things were coming out, they're like, okay, maybe we should make this a creepy horror film. (laughs) And Mark decided, if we're going to go this far, we might as well go all the way. So he called a close friend of his, Jason Blum. Hey, who's that guy? Right? And (laughs) he's so funny on an interview. He says... I almost didn't want to call him and say, hey, Jason, I got a found footage movie because I know he's fucking sick of people sending him found footage movies after paranormal <laughs> activity. But I called him and told him I had a fucking found footage movie. And he got him to sit down and watch it. And I'm trying to remember if he got Oren that made paranormal activity to watch it too. But he, he, oh. he wanted them to watch the movie and be like, help me finish this out. Right. Yeah. Like, like, how can I go all the way? And they did. They finished the movie and screened it for friends and they liked it. And, and this movie was at a spot where they had to make a decision. They were considering doing a full 3,000 theater release, like The Purge, right? Like, uh, you know, because Blumhouse does big releases sometimes with Universal. Like, they were going to team up with Universal. They'd already met with them. They could have released it as a 3,000 theater movie. But he said he was looking, he being Mark Duplass, and he's like, all right, Magic Mike's coming out. Um, I wish I could remember the list of movies, but he names a bunch of movies that were coming out in that window. And he's like, at the end of the day, is it really worth 12 bucks to go see my movie over these big productions? (laughs) No. <laughs> right. And then he started thinking about his HBO deals and especially his Netflix deal. Cause I think he had like an open, I got four things I can make and they're just going to let me do it. Yeah. Right. And they decided to do an iTunes exclusive for like two weeks. Okay. Because he had something, some kind of arrangement there, like with his fans or something. Right. And then it come out on Netflix. But while this was going on, he was also helping Patrick make his movie, the overnight which has a lot of huge stars in it. And it is like an indie artsy type movie, but it's a big movie. Right. Yeah. And, and it was really popular and he really wanted to showcase Patrick. So he wanted them to kind of come out in tandem. Right. So like they were stalling one to get the other one to come out. And it, he figured that the overnight would be his theater release. And this would be the Netflix movie. And then you get to see Patrick Bryce writing and directing from two different angles. Okay. And I thought it was really neat that he did that. And he even said some of the scenes like, he said they went to go shoot the third version of the ending, which is still not the ending we got in the movie. I want to know about all these other endings. <laughs> but they went to go shoot it while he was filming the league, right? And they went and stayed out all night filming it and then had like an hour and a half to drive him back across town to get on set to film the league. Oh, wow. Right? And he said it was just crazy, like everything they were doing to, to make this movie. But Mark's plans to showcase Patrick and help him get a start and, and cross-promote these two films really helped because there was some carryover between the fans watching these type of movies because the creep is a horror movie, but it's also kind of a dark comedy. And it's also just like a, an indie movie in a way, right? Like it's, it it fits all these little genres. And Mark had stated that he probably wouldn't be into filmmaking as much as he was right now, if it wasn't for Netflix, because Netflix is just one of the biggest corporations in the world right now with a shit ton of money that they can throw to an indie filmmaker. Yep that an indie studio cannot throw <laughs> and you can make shit and you could just put it out and it's just, it's just a fucking blast. And and that's what he did with this movie to give us this awesome, creepy flick. Oh, that's crazy. I, I had heard in an interview that something was in the works for a three picture deal. And then it, for whatever reason it, it fell through, it was just from a Q and a from a screening, but it didn't mention another studio. So that had to have been, I presuming had to have been the universal deal. This movie is actually a trilogy. They haven't made the third one yet. Yeah. It's been designed to be a trilogy the whole time. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the second one went straight to Netflix too. Yep. 
because that's where I saw it. Because I was, I saw the first one after it had been out a little while. David and I kind of gave it a shot and watched it, had a good time. Second one, it was like, oh, Creep 2 is coming out this weekend. Let's get some beer, right? Like, let's do this. <laughs> and sometime during COVID, I actually think it's in my news on like a, an episode from like stay at home orders time. He had written a bunch of stuff and then just kind of scrapped it because he like he doesn't want to make it unless it's right. So like yeah. he just starts throwing stuff on paper and follows it. And if he doesn't like it, he scraps it and starts over. Yeah. And I'm going to say it right now as the sequel hater guy. This is one of the few franchises where I like <laughs> the second one better. Yeah, we, we will get to that. Right. But I am in total agreement with you. And I love the original. <laughs> it's just they they took the original and they very easily could have just shit the bed on oh, making yeah. a sequel. And the way they went into it was the way to go. Yeah, pure genius. And that's why I want to see the third one. But I'm okay with, you know, Mark kind of being an indie artsy guy. And he's like, fuck it. We're not making it until it's right. Yeah. But unless you have anything you... What I add to the backstory, I guess I'm ready to dive into the movie. No, since there's no official DVD release with like commentary and behind the scenes, I had to read interviews and shit. So I didn't spend any time researching the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> so we open up with a title card. It says March 21st, 2012. And we're introduced to Aaron as he's talking to his camera and driving through the mountains to meet a client who offered him $1,000 for a day of his video services, right? Yep. So he's a videographer that's not making a bunch of money we're getting from this point. And he said that the advertisement, which I assume is supposed to be a Craigslist post, said that discretion is appreciated. Whatever that means. Don't tell people about what we do together. <laughs> but Aaron is kind of hoping that it's a nice, lonely old lady with a lot of money and she needs a friend. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be that lucky. <laughs> Before you go too far, this movie could have also been subtitled Creep. Aaron is a dumbass. <laughs> I'm just going to get that out. I think that's the thing, though. It's supposed to be the naive, doe-eyed, yeah. trusting guy because that gets brought up. I will get to that on the final scene. Okay. That is brought up in film. So, But Aaron finally arrives at his destination, which is this cabin in the woods. What a great place for a horror movie <laughs> only to not get an answer at the door or on the phone. When he calls the number from the listing, he can't get a hold of anybody. And he decides to look around the woods around the house with his camera. And he notices an ax stuck into a tree stump. And he decides maybe I should go wait in the car. Right. <laughs> and he says to the camera that he just doesn't think this guy's going to show up. Hi. Joseph just appears out of nowhere, scaring the shit out of Aaron and the audience and me for the most part, because a lot of these jump scares get me almost every time. Uh-huh. But the creepy figure that just pounded on the window introduces himself as Joseph to Aaron and says it's going to be a great day because Aaron has a nice face and he wants to go ahead and get a hug out of the way because that's going to feel normal by the end of the day. And he's not going to think it's weird anymore. <laughs> oh... <laughs> I mean, just the way Mark Duplass is already portraying this character with the, oh my God, oh my God, this is going to be great. This ridiculous tracksuit. Yep. Like maybe that's a normal tracksuit, but I'm just thinking like an Eastern European guy at this point. Oh yeah. And he's fucking slinging Coke on the side. Yeah. yeah. It, it's all good. And there's a scene where he's standing at the top of the stairs and it's dark, really dark. And he's got his head tilted. And I swear it's to make him look at Michael Myers because he almost <laughs> has like the jumpsuit collar yeah. thing going. If you can just see a silhouette. And I, I don't mean to interrupt you on this, but there's so much in this movie that on the first watch is like, 
this is dumb, this is underacted, this is overacted. And then by the time you get through it and like your brain starts going, no, I think I figured out how all this is wired together. And then you go back and watch it again. And it's like, no, I, I get it now. At least I had some of that going through this where it doesn't feel right the first time through. But as and I, that's the point of why it's creepy. It's like it's uncomfortable. <laughs> that, that's better for me to put it. It's not that it's bad. It feels uncomfortable, like it's poorly okay. made. But then as you discover the character more, you're like, oh, no, no, no. I, I understand now. Now I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> I thought it was genius the first time I watched it, and I thought it really, I didn't know the Craigslist thing, but I thought it really encompassed that when you meet somebody that you met on the internet in real life for the first time. Like, I felt like it was perfect for that, <laughs> and it was just the right amount of creepiness. But anyways, Joseph takes Aaron into the house, and he gives him and us a mini tour of the, of the layout of the place, right, so we can see what's going on. And he points out some paintings on the wall, and he says he made those with his father when he was a kid. And it's their family home, right? Yeah, totally. Really leans into that early on. And he tells Aaron that he has terminal cancer, and he only has a few months to live. And he wants to make a video diary for his unborn child, just like Michael Keaton in my life. And he just wants Aaron to follow him with the camera for the day so the child can see his dad the way he was, for the man he was, just living the day, right? Yep. And he hopes that Aaron's up for it. After Aaron agrees and Joseph explains about how normal of a day this is going to be, pats him on the shoulder and said, all right, let's go get in the tub. And he runs upstairs. <laughs> and Aaron, it's funny because you can't see Aaron. He's holding the camera, but it pauses. Yeah. Like, what the, what the fuck? And you get a, what? <laughs> a tub or something, you know. And Aaron reluctantly runs up the stairs into the bathroom to cut into Joseph shirtless, dropping his pants and his underwear down, butt-ass naked. And Aaron's like, oh, sorry, and he backs up. And Joseph says, no, it's okay. Come on in here. We're going to get way deeper than this. Right? <laughs> and he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to ask. Can I get you a sandwich or anything? As he's standing there. Right? Like... <laughs> It's so perfect, especially when you know they didn't have dialogue written for the movie. Yeah. Like, this is just Mark. What would be really weird right now? <laughs> and it's really funny. He said on one of the interviews that I watched that he calls it, oh, God, what's he call it? Like the head of the class or something. I don't know. But it, he, he, there's a saying he has for it where he feels like he can perfectly go into a room and talk to four different people that are in different cliques that work different ways, and he could shift his personality that 10 or 20%. Okay. To make you like him and talk to him. And he said, it's just enough of what makes people sociopaths, right? <laughs> but I have just enough of it to, to carry a conversation. And I feel like he kind of used that towards us. And that's what he was trying to do. Hey, I forget what. Oh, politician. That's what she called that. <laughs> right. <laughs> or <exactly>. a lobbyist. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, back to the movie. We cut to Joseph sitting in the bathtub, candle lit, right? Candles everywhere. And he's talking to this invisible child, right? And I don't know if it would have been creepier if he had a doll or not. <laughs> I think I kind of like the invisible child, right? Yeah, yeah, that's creepy enough. Right. But he's having tubby time with the child, just like he did with his father. And Joseph acts like he's playing with the child in the tub and smelling his stinky feet and bathing him and saying the most ridiculous shit you can imagine. And this is all very, very creepy. Yeah. And I, I thought it was going to take a dark turn to where like, like hints get mentioned or something gets said that would imply abuse when he was a kid. Like right. that, the first time watching, that's where I really thought it was going to go. But no, where it goes is creepier. Yeah. Because <laughs> I actually didn't know a lot about the movie. Like I felt like I knew a lot, but I knew absolutely nothing about the plot. And it could have been like 
that kind of creepy. Yeah. And not what it ended up being. But Joseph then puts the pretend baby on his chest and tries to protect him from the candle flames and acts like he's taking a nap. And then he has a long pause and looks at Aaron and says that he just can't stop thinking about how he's going to be dead in a few months. And that makes him sad and that this whole tubby scene is sad and he doesn't want the video for his child to be sad. And he's just getting depressed thinking about it and he could just end it all right here, right now. And then he just slips under the water and we don't see him and he stays underwater and Aaron starts to freak out a little bit and he leans over with the camera to look at Joseph who's just staying underwater holding his breath and then he just jumps out of the water screaming really loud at Aaron <laughs> scaring the fuck out of him he then apologizes to Aaron and says that he was just trying to lighten the mood and that he likes to scare people for fun yeah he does because <laughs> he's done it twice now right <laughs> he then tells Aaron that they should go outside to get some fresh air and he sends Aaron to go get a coat out of the closet because it's cold outside and Aaron runs in with the camera and opens the closet to get the shit scared out of him by a werewolf mask <laughs> and if I remember correctly this wasn't like a custom made mask like they went to the 99 cent store and just bought something off the shelf okay so it's like scream all over again yes <laughs> But Joseph runs up because he hears Aaron screaming and he explains that that is peach fuzz and it's a family thing. And he's glad that he came up here and saw this because he wants to show him the peach fuzz mask and he puts it on. And then he decides to sing the peach fuzz song that his father came up with. And Joseph puts the mask on and he breaks into this crazy song and dance. Hello, my name is Peach Fuzz. I might look like I eat you up. But I'm as friendly as a rabbit. And I'd make a very good friend. Peach Fuzz, I am here. And there's nothing to fear. And after this odd spectacle, he puts the mask up and says, Oh, hats, and grabs hats for him, and they head off. <laughs> now, real quick. Um, when you were a kid, did, I always heard peach fuzz is what you talk about being on your sack before you got real pubes and also what you would joke with the guy who couldn't grow a mustache that he could only grow the peach fuzz. The, I heard it both ways growing up. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know if I was in a weird place in the woods about the balls thing. So I was just curious. <laughs> I heard it more about the facial hair, but I did hear it the other way. So you're not crazy. Okay, and okay. yes, I'm sure that's part of the joke. Uh, that's where I was going with that. <laughs> but now that their heads are going to be warm with these hats. The duo heads out to the car with Joseph driving and Aaron filming. And Joseph starts to tell Aaron about this legend of this trail and how it leads to a rock with a heart-shaped hole and a spring with these magical healing properties. And Joseph says that he and his wife heard about the story from the Mexican lady that runs the taco truck down the street, right? And that the spring can only heal the pure of heart. And he asks Aaron if he has a pure heart. And he says, yes. And Joseph responds with, he better be. <laughs> Whatever the fuck that means. I don't know. It's just funny because he's going on and on. And you're waiting for him to say about it's this legend that goes back 300 years. And he's like, I heard it from the lady that runs the taco truck yeah. out of nowhere. <laughs> well, we see the guys walking down the trail and Joseph's just continually talking. And then I don't remember what he says, but he just randomly takes off sprinting while he yells, let's cure some cancer. Right? <laughs> out of nowhere. And... 
He randomly stops and asks Aaron if he saw that and points to the woods where we didn't see anything. And then he just takes off running full speed and he's gone <laughs> in the woods. Once he's out of sight, Aaron calls to him with no response. And he turns the camera towards his face with this what the fuck face and goes looking for Joseph in the woods. Aaron can't find him as he goes to the woods until he comes by this fallen tree and Joseph suddenly jumps out screaming from behind it and scares the shit out of Aaron. And I remembered that one and it still almost got me. <laughs> almost. But Joseph says, I know you can't see your face right now, so hand me the camera so he can record Aaron's face, right? And Aaron looks very angry, and he says that this is incredible because he just had a near-death experience, and this is how you feel when you're about to die. And Joseph says what's more amazing is that there was about two seconds there where Aaron wanted to kill Joseph, and he can respect that. <laughs> and he says, there might be some peach fuzz in you yet, Aaron. <laughs> So as they hike further down the trail, Joseph asks Aaron if he has anyone he needs to make peace with before he goes. And Aaron responds with, I have an ex. And Joseph says, you have an ex? <laughs> <laughs> and Aaron corrects Joseph. And then Joseph says, I have an ex. Did you see it? And when Aaron says yes, Joseph asks him if there was a small part of him that thought that Joseph might kill him with that ax when he saw it. And Aaron says, yes, because I didn't know you then. And Joseph says that he thinks that's great. Foreshadowing. Yes. They then hike even further into the woods, and Aaron says it's been a really long time, and maybe they should go back, get something to eat or something. And Joseph goes, oh, there's a sign. And he runs up to a sign. <laughs> and when Aaron runs up to the camera, we can clearly see that it says sewer pipeline. That's shit water. Something. Better than nothing. Come on. Oh, some kind of civilized landmark. <laughs> yeah. They start to discuss that they don't know how to get back to the car. And Joseph says they're just going to have to keep on trucking then until they find the healing waters. What they do discover is a lookout point, And Joseph runs up to it full speed again, leaving Aaron and looks and he calls to Aaron. He says, come over here and take a look at that. Right. And when Aaron walks up, he points the camera down and he can see the rock with a spring in it in a heart shaped hole. Right. No. So Aaron realizes that Joseph wasn't full of shit and he's kind of on board now, right? Like, like he wants to do this now that he sees that this is really a spring that they could go to, right? Yeah. There might be something to this story. And with Aaron on board, we can see them taking turns with the camera and both playing in the water, right? And they're both having fun now that this is like less crazy for Aaron in some weird way, right? Like he realizes maybe this guy does have cancer, right? And there is this healing spring and he just wants to live. So after they play for a bit, Joseph says, let's go eat. I'm going to take you to this place that my family ate at all the time. Best pancakes in the world. So we then cut to them sitting there with the camera. I don't remember if it's in Aaron's hands or on the table, but the camera's looking at Joseph and they sit down to eat and Joseph grabs the menu and says, I wonder what's good at this place. And Aaron finds that odd because he said he used to come here all the time with his family and that they're known for their pancakes and points this out. And Joseph's like, oh, you're right. They just changed the menu. Let's just get some pancakes. <laughs> While eating, Joseph asks Aaron if he's ever done anything that he's really ashamed of. And Aaron responds with a yes. And Joseph asks him if he'll tell him about it. He then takes the camera from Aaron to film him as he tells his story so that it, it it's kind of like a reversal of roles here. Yeah. And Aaron tells a story about how he would pee his pants all the time. And it was bad enough that his mom got something from a mail order site that came with a bracelet he would wear and a wire went down to a sensor that could detect wetness, right? And it would do this beeping alarm when he wet himself. And after having to wear this 
little bracelet set thing here. He was playing on the playground with some kids, and he wet himself at the monkey bars, and it just started beeping, and it wouldn't stop. And it was embarrassing to him, and it was the first time in his life he ever felt shame. It's really dark and fucked up. Yeah. And Patrick probably just made that shit up on the spot, which is great. (laughs) But Joseph thanks him for sharing the story, and Aaron looks actually relieved to have told the story to someone. And then Joseph says can I have a turn now? Right? Because this was all a manipulative <laughs> yeah, situation to get to say something that he's ashamed of. So he hands the camera off to Aaron and he pulls out his phone to show Aaron how he stalked him through the woods when he got out of his car to check out the cabin. And he just kept following him and taking pictures of him, sometimes really close. Yep. And Aaron wants to know why. And Joseph says that he was nervous about meeting him. And he thought that if he got to know Aaron before Aaron got to know him, he'd be less scared. <laughs> And he apologizes and says he's ashamed and wish he hadn't have done it, and he wants to move past it. Cue the awkward silence. He finally makes Aaron say that it's okay, and they move on. But that night, they head back to the cabin, and they're about halfway up the stairs, and it's getting dark, and Joseph stops, and he's standing in front of this light. And that scene I was talking about where you just see the silhouette, it kind of looks like the shape. Yeah. And Aaron says that he thinks he wants to go home, that the roads are, you know, kind of crazy, and it's getting dark, and he already has all his stuff on him. And it's a long drive, and Joseph tries to talk him into coming up for a whiskey, right, to commemorate the day. And they go back and forth, and and Joseph finally talks to Aaron to come up for one drink, and he's like, I'll send you on your way afterwards. Joseph runs up the stairs, and Aaron slowly follows him, then gets jump-scared yet again as he walks in. (laughs) Then we cut to them drinking whiskeys at a table. Joseph says that it's been a great day, and he's made a new friend, and he asks Aaron why he took the job, and he says that he needed the money. And Joseph says that being broke is not something to be ashamed of, and it happens to people. And since they're now friends and he's dying, he would like to share some of his wealth with Aaron and give Aaron some money. This shit's brutal. I know, I know. Aaron's real uncomfortable with the situation until Joseph says, if I was starving and you had an excess of food, would you not share it with me, Aaron? And Aaron's like, well, yeah, I would. And he kind of gets it. So then Joseph tells him that there's a check in his boot. And Aaron looks down really quick to check his boot and finds nothing. And Joseph says, oh, I was just joking. There's not a check in your boot. But since you look, that means you actually need the money. So let me help you. At this point, Aaron's sick of his shit and ready to roll. And he grabs his jacket and says it's time to go. But Joseph tries to talk him out of leaving again and then randomly says that he lied. And when Aaron asks him about what, he tells him that he wants to tell the true story about peach fuzz that he could never tell another living soul. He asks Aaron to sit down and turn the camera off. And he does set the camera down beside him and kill the video recording, but he leaves the audio running, right? And Joseph tells a story about how four years ago, the internet got real slow at his house. And he had a tech take a look at his computer and the cookies were full, but they were full of porn. Mostly animal porn. Oh, God. (laughs) And only two people use this computer, himself and his wife, Angela. And he knows that he was not looking at animal pornography. (laughs) He's so serious about it. So he says he confronted his wife. I'm a fucking murderer, all right? I don't believe in bestiality. (laughs) Exactly. The story gets even weirder, though, when you find out who Angela is, right? But he says he confronted his wife and they began to drift apart and he tried to save the marriage and ask her to go out to the family cabin with him. And once they got there, he pretended to be called into work and told her she should enjoy the nice relaxing vacation in the cabin. And he left. 
and he went to the 99 cent store and bought a werewolf mask. And maybe that's where I got the 99 cent store thing from, but I'm still pretty sure it was just like an off the shelf mask they used. Yeah. He then snuck into the house as his wife slept and he tied her up and had savage animalistic sex with her with the mask on. And he said she really liked it and he didn't mind it either. He then snuck out the window, leaving her tied up and returned the next day and asked her how her night went. And she said it was fine and never mentioned it. They actually never spoke of it after that. And they went home and in the weeks to follow, the internet got back up to speed. Right? <laughs> so fucked up. She didn't need it anymore. It's so weird. <sighs> he then says, Aaron, I raped my wife. <sighs> we then cut back to the camera. And Joseph saying goodbye to his son on the camera. And Aaron interrupts him and says, that's great. I think we got it. And uh, <laughs> it's time for me to roll. And he didn't even finish what he's saying. And Joseph's like, no, no, no. I think we need another take. He's like, no, we got it. And Aaron tries to go, but there's just one problem. He can't find his car keys. No keys. Aaron starts to frantically look for his keys. And Joseph asks him a question. Did I freak you out with my rape story? I don't know about Aaron, but he freaked me out with his rape story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, and it's really fucked up because we go from the fucking, the rape, the story, the wife enjoyed it because it reminded her of bestiality. That, let's put all that over here for a minute. Then we, <laughs> then we cut right to, I'm saying goodbye to my son because I'm dying. And right. then Aaron's like, you know what? <laughs> I think I just found my limit. <laughs> right, right. I think he found his limit a while ago. He was just trying to figure out how to not get axe murdered in the back. Oh, okay. So he found his balls. Yeah, yeah. But Joseph tells Aaron that he needs to stay there and that there are plenty of couches in the house and that the house is dark and they can't find the keys in the dark and technically he's over the legal limit to drive and that tomorrow the house would be flooded with light and they can find the keys. And it's just the way he says everything. Yeah. Right. And he's painting we, a picture, man. Exactly. And we cut to Aaron pouring two more whiskeys since he's staying the night. And while Joseph isn't looking, he slips some pills in. Right. And they slam the drinks and Joseph does another take of his farewell shot. And he starts to get cotton mouth and comment on how the drink tastes kind of funny to him. And then we see that he's passed out on like the, the bricks for like the fireplace mantle. Right. Yep. Aaron checks on Joseph to see if he's truly knocked out. And he startles Joseph who jumps awake for a second, scaring the shit out of all of us once again. <laughs> and then we cut to a further shot of the room with Joseph asleep. And he starts saying peach fuzz and playing with himself. Right. While he's sleeping. And then he starts to say that he's so sorry. And he passes all the way out at this point. Aaron knows that Joseph has taken his keys. So he starts trying to go through all of Joseph's pockets and without waking him, he manages to take his phone out. As he pulls the phone out of Joseph's pocket, it starts to ring and he runs to the bathroom and answers the phone and says, Angela. And she responds with Joseph and he says, no, this is Aaron. And she wants to talk to Joseph is what she says. And Aaron lets her know that Joseph's asleep. She asks who he is again. And he says that he was hired to film her husband and that he's at the family cabin. She then says that he needs to get up and leave right now. And he explains that he doesn't have his keys. And she says, give me the address and then just leave. Just leave your car. Don't worry about it. And Aaron wants to know if he's in danger. And she says that her brother has problems and he needs to get the fuck out of there right now. <laughs> the phone then dies. And Joseph heads back into the, the rest of the house from the bathroom wherever he was. And he walks by the fireplace because he's looking through the camera. Yeah. And the camera turns, and then it does a double take back to the fireplace where we realize Joseph's not lying anymore. Oh, shit. And he then walks around different corners, really wide 
births here, trying to find Joseph and I get scared until he notices the back door slid partially open and he heads out of it. Aaron turns the lights on and goes out to that back porch and starts looking around and he doesn't see anything. He then turns the other way and hears the word death right behind him and he turns around screaming only to find Joseph standing right behind him who finishes the sentence by saying it's coming and that he's scared and he doesn't want to die. And he breaks down crying and hugs Aaron. And it is so creepy how he sneaks up behind him. And it's got this weird almost villain for the guy again, right? Yeah, because at this point, and this is a hard one to explain to anyone listening who hasn't seen this movie, because the amount of manipulation that's already gone on with Aaron, he doesn't know what the fuck to believe. Right. And does he does he latch on and that's how he survives versus trying to run away and may not survive? Is this guy just fucking crazy? And yeah. He's not going to kill him. Like the whole thing that's toyed with there and what was birthed out of the, the making of the movie is, is, is there on film. And I just kind of want to make that clear because it's very, very hard to understand this on paper or just talking about it without actually witnessing right. where the characters are at this point. And if you guys haven't seen these movies, just go to Netflix and watch it. We all know you have Netflix subscriptions. Yeah. It's your brother's account. You've got the password. You'll be fine. <laughs> but as Josh was kind of alluding to Aaron and Joseph do kind of talk this out a bit. Right. But in response to Joseph saying that he does not want to die, Aaron says that he knows. And Joseph thinks he means that he knows that he's scared and doesn't want to die. And Aaron's like, no, I really know what's going on. And he knows that he's troubled and he's here to help him. And he's not angry and he just wants his keys and they can take it from there. He says that he talked to Angela, and then as soon as he says that, Joseph just fucking takes off running full speed and goes down the stairs. Oh. Aaron slowly enters the house and goes down the stairs only to find Joseph pinned up against the door with the peach fuzz mask on breathing heavy and growling. Okay. Aaron keeps asking what's going on to Joseph and Joseph just continues to growl and rub his butt against the door for some reason. (laughs) And he then growls really loud and charges at Aaron taking him down. And we see like the camera malfunction and cut out. Right. Yep. And at this point, we dive into the third act and cut to Joseph dragging some big, heavy garbage bags up a hill with the camera sitting on the ground filming him. And he then walks out of frame and comes back with a shovel and begins digging a hole. And when I saw this the first time, I thought this was the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. Here come the credits. And then it freezes, right? (laughs) And yes, still expecting the credits at this point, right? But we then hear Aaron say, okay. For a little context here, and then we see the camera get picked up, and it was looking at the TV, right? That's, yeah. that's how we we're seeing this. And, and Aaron points at himself, and he says that after Joseph attacked him, he took off into the woods, and Aaron was able to get out of there, and he just had his car towed the next day, right? He said, fuck, it ain't going back. Yeah, because we realize we're in Aaron's apartment or little house or whatever at this point. Right, right. And he says that a few days later, he received this video, which means that Joseph know where he lives, which is concerning. And <laughs> Yeah, it is. This is all really great, like this next couple of minutes here, because we got to hear Aaron's responses to Joseph a lot, but now we get to see Patrick acting as Aaron a lot, right, over these next few minutes. But he says that he doesn't know how to interpret the video, and he's not sure if he's supposed to be in the bags and the holes for him or whatever. He starts trying to analyze it like a film student, and then he's like, fuck it, and he stops the tape. And he says, that's it. And he goes and throws the tape in the trash, right? And I say tape, I think it's a disc. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's a DVD. (laughs) We then cut to Aaron waking up, talking to the camera in the middle of the night, and he says that 
he guesses this is not it because he can't sleep because he keeps having this weird dream where they're at the heart rock. Only it's a hot tub and Joseph has the peach fuzz mask on and Aaron has a baby peach fuzz mask on. Right. And now Freud would say some part of Aaron wants Joseph (laughs) in some weird way or he just knows what's going to happen. Maybe. But he says that he looks down and realizes that he is a baby and that they're having a tubby. And he reaches in the water and he pulls out his hand and it's just blood, right? Like they're bathing in blood. This is a fucked up dream. And we cut to the next day and a delivery man has dropped off a large box with no return address on Aaron's porch. And he has an idea who it's from, right? So he stares at the box for a bit while he's sitting on the couch and he just starts fucking kicking it. And I think he half expected Joseph to be in the box yeah. because I know I did. Oh, fuck yeah. Right? Like he mailed himself in. <laughs> But he reluctantly opens the box and pulls out a kitchen knife that was in the box and another DVD. And he puts the disc in to watch it, knife in hand, and it's Joseph apologizing for sending the last video. And he says that his head was not in the right place because, after all, he was drugged by Aaron, right? And he found the Benadryl bottle. He knows what happened. Cool move, he says, right? Yeah, still like a terrible manipulative ex. Exactly. He says tit for tat and that they're even now. And he assumes that he has the knife in his hand at this point. And Joseph then says that if you've not found the third element in the box, you need to press pause and dig a little bit deeper. And Aaron pauses it and just has this what the fuck look. Because he set the camera down next to his TV, but facing him. So yeah. I got like the, the trailer reaction video, if you will. <laughs> But after Aaron pauses the video, he digs in the box all the way to the bottom only to find a stuffed baby wolf. Yeah. Okay. And he sits down with it and hits play. And Joseph says that he loves wolves because they love so deeply, but they don't know how to express it. They often get very violent and murder the things that they love. But inside a wolf is a heart that sometimes murder things, but is still full of love. (laughs) And that when he saw that wolf in the store, it made him think of Aaron. Aaron was first scared when he met him in the woods, and then he had a little bit of a baby murderer in him, right, when he got scared, (laughs) but he just wasn't quite ready to kill yet. So he says to take the knife and murder it, because when you take a knife and stab into something to see what's inside it, it's a great feeling. He then says, I have something inside there for you, and ends the video with, uh, I'll see you soon, buddy. So it's just getting creepier as we go very, very rapidly. Oh, yeah, this all turns it up to 11. (laughs) And Aaron cuts a hole in the wolf and fishes around until he pulls out a heart-shaped locket. It plays music when you open it and has a picture of each of them from the spring at the uh, heart rock. So he got the footage somehow. I don't know. Well, I think we need to go ahead and appreciate how much work Joseph does put into this. Oh, yeah. So as fucked up as he is in his head, I can understand like how mad he can be if someone doesn't appreciate how much he's done. He should open an Etsy shop, man, and just really, <laughs> really let all of this out. Yeah. I'm starting to wonder if he's using Aaron's camera to film all the stuff that he's sending him, and that's how he had the footage. That makes sense. Like, he's, like Aaron just fucking ran and left the camera, right? Yeah. And then Aaron has another camera at home because he is a he's videographer. A videographer. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with this. This is making sense to me now. But like I said, 
it's the pictures of their goofy faces at the heart-shaped rock. And on the back, it says J and A forever. Okay. Aaron decides this is it, and he calls the cops. We cut to him installing a deadbolt in his door while on the phone with the police and telling them his story. <laughs> and he says that he does not know his last name or where he lives because he looked up the cabin and it was a rental. And the cops laugh at him as he explains that he received a knife and a locket, and he just hangs up the phone, right? It's a very Goonies moment. Like, is this like the time you told us there were these little green things running all over town that multiply when you get them wet? Yeah. <laughs> they don't give a fuck. <laughs> but after he had no luck with the police, we cut to Aaron turning the camera on in bed at night again, saying that he keeps having the same nightmare over and over again. But it's weirder now because the hot tubs have these spikes that push up when you sit down on them. And as he's telling the story, he keeps thinking he's hearing something around. And when he gets to the spike part, he hears a loud bang and just stops talking. Right. But we know where he was going with it. Yeah. And he gets up and turns the light on and grabs the knife and starts searching the house. And he finds no one. However, as he's walking through the house, Joseph is spying on him through the door the entire time, just staring at him creepy. And Joseph dives to the ground out of sight right as Aaron comes around the corner one time. And Aaron runs to the door because he thinks he saw something in the corner of his eye. When he goes outside with the camera, he can hear something in the bushes. And he keeps asking if someone's there. And then he starts saying, Joseph. And all he finds is his garbage can knocked over and ransacked. And he blames the goddamn trash pandas for this incident, right? (laughs) We then cut to Aaron sleeping, but the camera is turned on and filming him sleeping. The camera begins to move around and, and follow his body as he's sleeping. Joseph must have snuck in the house while Aaron was outside. Nice. The camera then gets set on the table, and we see Joseph cut off a strand of Aaron's hair with a pair of children's pink scissors, which is such a nice touch. He's not allowed to have real scissors or shoelaces. (laughs) Bad things happen when he has scissors and shoelaces. Exactly. We then cut to another day, and Aaron's saying that things have been normal for the last few nights. And then he found this. And what we see is another DVD with my last video written on it in Sharpie sitting in his windowsill. Joseph has cut a hole in the window screen and placed it there right next to his bed. So now he's extra creeped out that Joseph got that close to him, right? Is this when he's like, I sleep right here. Yeah. (laughs) He was right here. Exactly. (laughs) But what he doesn't know is that Joseph was actually in the room with him when he did it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Aaron puts the disc in and sets down to watch the video and he can see Joseph sitting in front of a lake and he's holding up the four Aaron disc that Aaron threw away earlier and says that he gets it, that you get a grave digging video in the mail and you trash it, right? It makes sense. But throwing away the locket was a little harsh. So it wasn't the trash pandas. It was Joseph in the trash and he still got in the house. Yep. If you think about it, he had Aaron's keys. Yeah. So he probably just has a key to the fucking house. We wouldn't have a key to the deadbolt, though. Yeah, not the new deadbolt, because we saw that getting installed. So he must have ransacked the trash earlier and then snuck in while Aaron was possibly chasing a, a raccoon or something in the bushes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't care. I won't, pl- I won't plot hole this movie. No, 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 <laughs> I'm no, too no. creeped out to plot hole this movie. Exactly. <laughs> But Joseph explains how it broke his heart when he found the lock of the trash and how it made him have very inappropriate thoughts of what he wanted to do to Aaron. And this scared him and that Aaron was right for throwing the stuff away. And this is his apology video. Uh huh. <laughs> Joseph continues to explain about how he always felt like he needed to act 
and just dove into that and that he has problems and grasping on a bullshit makes it worse, but he wants to have something real and give an apology to Aaron in person. And he wants Aaron to come see him. He wants to show Aaron who he really is. And he says to meet him here at this lake tomorrow at 11, it's a public place with people around. You'll be safe. Again, subtitle, Aaron is an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) But Aaron looks at the camera and says, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? He just looks so sad, right? Nope. (laughs) He looks like a crazy motherfucker and you shouldn't care anymore. I agree, but I think Aaron's a very soft-hearted person and he's thinking that maybe he does have cancer or something and he's going a little bit of crazy oh no no his brain and he's like well it is a safe place but that's because joseph knew how to manipulate him exactly it's like how am i gonna get murdered broad daylight at a fucking lake yeah, there's yeah, no, no way it's gonna happen no, i totally buy it i totally buy that aaron is got his own problems and he's bought into the bullshit based on what he's experienced right but, right I, he's still an idiot though <laughs> <laughs> but we cut to the inside of the city it's car and we see that he's got the camera set up filming the bench that he's supposed to meet Aaron at, right? Yep. And he says to the camera that his phone is set to speed dial 911, and he gets out and walks to the bench and sits down alone. He waits for a while, and we can see Joseph step in a frame from behind Aaron with a trench coat on. And then Joseph reaches into the trench coat, pulls out the peach fuzz mask, puts it on, reaches into the coat, pulls the axe out that we saw earlier. Braces himself as he pulls it up and steps closely in. And it's so awkward how he's walking in with his axe. And then he proceeds to axe murder the shit out of Aaron. <laughs> right. And with this being like a low budget thing they they did for fun, I really want to know how they shot it. Yeah. I couldn't find anything because he's beating the fuck out of something with an axe. And it looks like it's Aaron <laughs> and he falls over. So I don't know how they did it. Um, his name was Joe. He answered a Craigslist ad. And unfortunately, <laughs> he is no longer with us. <laughs> Damn. but as you're shocked from seeing Aaron get fucking murdered, because as much as I thought he was going to get murdered through the whole movie, I didn't actually expect that. Yeah. Not like this. No. (laughs) And the footage pauses and we can see that Joseph was filming himself watching the murder video. Right. And he says that it just keeps getting better and better each time he watches it. And that he thought it was really smart that Aaron set up the camera and set the speed doll for the cops. But he just wants to know why Aaron wouldn't look back behind himself while he was sitting there. And then he says, oh, I realize that it's because Aaron trusts him. And he didn't think that he would need to look back. And he says that's why he loved him and why he will always be his favorite of them all. (laughs) Right? So this is getting deeper right here. And he watches the kill again while making some creepy creepy grunts and then he just stares at the bench with Aaron's dead body on it and he says to himself that it's okay that it's all over and then we see Joseph jump into frame on the camera screaming into it scaring the shit out of himself (laughs) and me and that's the scariest jump scare out of the movie and I forget about it every time because Joseph's just sitting there peacefully watching the video and then you see Joseph jump into frame on Aaron's camera and it's a really loud like over loaded scream right distorted and joseph's sissy scream in response to getting scared (laughs) just so fucking adds to it and then we cut to joseph walking with a camera and answering his phone saying that his name is bill and that the job is real simple he just needs the person to bring themselves and a camera with eight hours of their time 
He says all of this as he puts the DVD in a closet full of DVDs and even VHS tapes. Yep. All with different people's names or titles on them, like the position they had. Like he's been doing this so long that it was back in the VHS era. Yep. The end. <laughs> no post credit scene. And it didn't need one because the first time I saw this movie and the first time I watched it for the podcast, because there was a little bit of a gap in there. You just sit there fucking staring at the credits. I don't even know if there's music playing. I couldn't tell you right now if there's music playing. I've seen this movie four or five times because every time you're like, what the fuck just happened? Yep. And I don't know. I think that really says a lot about the movie because I I know I said this a minute ago, but you really know he's going to get killed the whole time. Oh, yeah. And then you think he made it out and then he gets set up in a situation where he's going to get killed and you're like, nah, it's not going to happen. And then he does. (laughs) It's such a violent way. Oh, yeah. Out of nowhere. And it's that whole Jordan Peele, I want to shoot the movie in broad daylight. Because yeah. it's a scarier thing. I think that's part of what really did it. And it's such a visceral axe attack. Well, and that's that's the other part of it is it's it's not even a situation where the victim gets to fight for their life. They're right. just a total sitting duck and videotaping his own murder. Right. Like the 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 tentacles of how much manipulation went in to lead to this is believable. Right. That's the scariest part. Like this is the kind of shit that actually happens to people. There's, it's a little over the top with the videos and the back and forth, but right. But this is what happens to people who end up in situations like this. And this is how crazy a fucking sociopath is. Right. And like we've talked about before, it's real world horror. Yeah. Cause it, it wasn't set out to be a horror movie. Like you said, it drifted off into this and to, to a casual movie watcher, it's like, oh, this is sick. Yeah. And to a horror fan, it's like, no, this is a really smart, dark comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's crazy because, like you said, they didn't set out to make a horror movie. And everybody wanted them to go that direction. Like, yeah. the people wanted that. Granted, the people is their family and friends, right? But, like, people were watching this movie and really wanted them to go that direction. And they didn't want to and try to fight it, right? And it still ended up there. And I honestly think that really says something about you never know who it is that you're meeting, like on the internet, right? Because they were trying to make a movie about meeting a strange person off a Craigslist ad. Yep. And it turned into this very believable homicide, (laughs) right? And that lets you know that that means there's a bridge there. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Like you can go from point A to point B. And 39 times. Right. And it's portrayed so well. I don't know. Like nobody else could have done the creepier performance oh no like, like martin applause yeah if, if this was if and i don't mean this as as a as a slight if this was like oh big time actors blah 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 no budget but we're gonna do it right with fucking script doctors and everything and they even took what this ended up being as the core idea it'd be fucked right <laughs> the magic of two guys going all right, we got an idea. Let's go film a bunch of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then finding the thread in it and being smart enough to see what that is and listen to outside opinion and tie it all together. It, it shows. And it's just like Blair Witch. <laughs> um, and I only mean that in the sense of it was the same thing. It was there's not really a script. There's just an outline. We need to get from point A to point B each day. And they didn't really know what was going to happen. And that's why that worked at that time and why that shit was believable. This shit is so creepy and so not planned that they would just try shit and try lines of dialogue till something landed. And was like, do you feel really uncomfortable right now watching this? I do. 
all right, we got to keep her. <laughs> like, that's what I imagine when they're fucking reviewing shit. But it's their wives saying that to them, though, right? Like, it's not know, right? them. So which one of them likes to get fucked by wolves? That's, that's what, <laughs> who the fuck came up with that? That's where I'm going with this. <laughs> Some of the shit that Mark Duplass says, though, is so creepy. And when you know it's not a room full of people writing the script and like, oh, let's see where we can go with this. <laughs> And, and they sit there and they just start making up shit until they get to the dark place. And you realize that Mark Duplass just fucking off the cuff winged to that it makes you got to be a little scared a little bit. Um, Yeah. Either he's very twisted or he has a very twisted sense of humor. Right. He definitely has a very twisted sense of humor. And I'm mostly joking because we don't know what all they shot initially. And then as they, they show this over the course of a couple of years, don't forget, this wasn't quickly done in 30 days. They just yeah. shot this in their free time for... Like I said, it was like 18 plus months or something. I know that the interview of them from like South by Southwest where they released it is three years from the day they started writing it, basically. So, I mean, it it took them three years to make the movie in its entirety. I just don't know how much of that was editing. But like fucking what we do in the shadows. You got to wonder, though, was it really just Mark Duplass or would he wing some shit off the cuff? And then they'd play it for their friends and family. And their friends and family, somebody's like, oh, man, it would have been really fucked up if you said this. And they're like, we got to go back and do that. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it it might not have been just him doing it because they took input from friends and family. It was basically a group project. Yeah, that's fucking smart. Now, you had made mention of that's not the only ending. Mm -hmm. What did you find out about that? Could not find shit because I cannot find any (laughs) special features for this movie. I looked so fucking hard. And that's one thing that sucks about Netflix movies, right? You don't get the special features. They are starting to add commentary and shit as tracks, but you can't get everything. And I don't know. This movie is a big enough cult hit, I think, that it's probably eventually going to have something. Right. Yeah. But we don't have it right now. So yeah. it's like, what can you find from interviews with Patrick and Jason <laughs> and Mark? And then just kind of watch the movie a bunch of times and go from there. But I don't know, just just taking such a simple idea and putting two guys in a room with a camera and a found footage perspective and just making this completely original piece of work. Yep. That is really dark and, and creepy. I mean, I, I hate that I keep saying creep or creepy and I did it as a joke a couple of times, but it really is in that same sense that you guys have heard me say that, yeah, my wife and kids are visiting family out of town and I've been watching nothing but true crime docs and I'm not sleeping at night now because I'm creeped (laughs) out. It's the same kind of creepiness because it's so real, yeah, you know, and, and they just fucking made this for fun in their spare time, man. And, and made a movie, put it out. People liked it. It paid off. It was a hit. And, that's how we were able to have a second one with Josh's 2017 Creep 2. So going back to the well, of course, we still have director Patrick Bryce and writers Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass. For the cast, <laughs> we still have Mark. And for anyone that gets confused by this, I'm going to refer to him as no one. Then I'm going to refer to him as Joseph. And then I'm going to refer to him as Aaron. It's just easier that way. Can we just call him Mark so I can follow along? <laughs> I thought you were asking, we could just call him Peach Fuzz. <laughs> Shit. But in this one, we also have briefly Karen Sony as Dave, who's yeah. in Deadpool, Room 104, Goosebumps, and Desiree. Akavan, I have no idea how to pronounce her last name. I think it's Akavan. I'm going to go with that too. 
from now on, she will be referred to as Desiree or Des. Um, <laughs> Mark and Des, we're monosyllabic here. Let's just go. All with right. It. <laughs> and uh, she's actually done a lot more work as a writer, director, and producer. And when she came into this, she admitted like not being into horror and approached this as a horror movie. And they're like, right. no, 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 no. Stop doing all of that. And, uh, I was reading an interview where she said it was actually really hard to a take direction from someone else, B be totally out of her element and think she's going for it. And to be told that she's completely wrong. And that by the time it all got done, that it was, you know, one of those growing experiences and she loved it. And, by the time they were all working together and taking input from each other as they went along, that it really made the whole thing gel, which I think that's kind of cool. You get too many writers, writers trying to act and, and directors trying to write and all this stuff. And right. then just it, thank God there wasn't a big studio in here going, we need this this summer <laughs> to come in and fuck it up. Jason Blum's pretty good at letting you do your own thing usually. Yeah. And this goes into Mark's whole, I like to help first time filmmakers thing, right? So he wanted to help her get started and they wanted somebody that knew something about filmmaking to play the character, to be able to act like they're once again, making a film, Yep, just like Aaron did. And if I remember correctly from the interview, I heard so long ago, this movie came out on whichever podcast that I can't figure it out more on that to come in the notes next episode. Um, (laughs) I feel like she... I mean, helped write this one too, right? Or, or at least like, I mean, they wing the dialogue still, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was the. I don't mean this in a bad way. The, not rinse and repeat like they made the same movie, <laughs> but rinse and repeat with the rules yes. or the system because it worked. If it's not broke, yes. don't fix it. Right? You know exactly what I was fixing to say. Now, the one problem they did have was. The, the whole thing with the first movie was, is this guy really crazy? Is he really a murderer? Of course, by the time you get to the end, you find out, yes, he's crazy and he's a murderer. So with that cat out of the bag, how do we do this as a sequel? There's no right. growing. There's no shock. And this is where a big studio would have fucked this up. Oh, yeah. And they would have had him with a new fake identity, with a new fake bullshit story, yep. doing the same fucking shit. This is where big studios kill shit, right? Yes. And this movie took the only next step that it could do and it still be good. And it was more yep. than good. <laughs> and, and I'm going to say it took the Leslie Vernon approach mm-hmm. to a certain extent, which is fucking genius, but in a much more on the nose way, Bryce was a fan of Laurel Nakadate. And she had done a series of videos where she would go home with strangers and she would put herself in dangerous situations, dancing to Britney Spears, putting on a schoolgirl outfit just to film herself in these strange guys and see what would happen. But to her, it was performance art. And Bryce had shown those to Mark Duplass. And it's like, do you think we can work this angle at all? And poof, the Sarah character was born. Okay. So we really have her to thank for the strongest anchor of this movie. Right, right. The, the structure of the plot. And it's really neat because that still feeds into the meeting strangers on Craigslist thing. Exactly. Because I don't want to ruin Josh's uh, breakdown of this movie, but when you see in a little bit what her YouTube channel essentially is right <laughs> and she's basically meeting weird people yeah on craigslist and, and and hanging out with them for a day which is actually a really cool idea but that really feeds into the idea of the first one to lead her to joseph and really feeds into what her actual inspiration was for this idea <laughs> in a really neat way so uh desiree was already an acquaintance of Duplass before making the film 
And uh, she called the movie a psychological dick measuring between two sociopaths. Okay. <laughs> so she counts her character as a sociopath as well in this film? Yes. Okay. I, I totally agree. And once again, it was a 15-page script that was more of just an outline of ideas. <laughs> Did they use the word script or outline? <laughs> they used both in, okay. the, uh, in the interviews. And that's really all I've got to lead into this. And I really don't have any behind the sp- scenes sprinkled into this because out of everything I read, that's the most interesting stuff I found. But like we've already both alluded to, sequels suck. And this one knocks out. This is the Terminator 2 of fucking indie horror. (laughs) So uh, we open with a POV shot through fuzz as Dave looks down into this package that was just dropped at his door that we're looking up through. Obviously, there's a camera looking through the fuzz. We know how this works now. So Dave takes the box in and then he pulls out a Watch Me DVD. And uh, as soon as he starts, it, of course, he's got the box sitting where where it can see him. Everything's framed good. And uh, he starts it. He starts to freak out a little bit. And then his friend comes by. And it's just his friend who comes in. He's like, hey, buddy. And, of course, we immediately go, oh, shit, it's Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> Same fucking Eastern European tracksuit <laughs> style and everything. And as they watch the DVD, we learn that the footage was shot in his house last night. David's house, not Joseph's. <laughs> and uh, Joseph's like becoming way more unglued than Dave. He's like, you need to call the cops. Do you have a knife? Do you have a gun? Right. Like, this is such an invasion of privacy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dave's like, hey, man, can I get you a beer? <laughs> and uh, he goes walking into the kitchen. And while he goes walking into the kitchen, Joseph looks over at the box. And he kind of kind of smiles at it. And then he blows <laughs> it a kiss. <laughs> And uh, he grabs the box. I, I think even one of them comments about there being a baby wolf in, right. in the box already. And uh, he takes the box and he sets it down in the dining room to kind of cover that area as Dave comes back with their beers. So once they sit down, Joseph goes on a slight rant about how he's worried about their friendship and that he's disappointed. If we aren't headed for greatness, then maybe we just end it right here tonight. He's so creepy right out the gate once again. He goes from best friend giving lots of support to he's going to fucking kill you. Just like that. Just like that. (laughs) And uh, he starts telling Dave, he's like, you ever notice that, you know, right when we became friends, the stalker kind of stuff started happening at the same time, you know? Um, I've been filming our entire friendship and I really thought that an 80 minute documentary covering it was a great gift, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, since reaching 40, Joseph has no joy in his work and holy shit, he just slashed Dave's throat. Yes. And if you're not paying attention, it feels like it goes down like that, but you can see Joseph kind of pulling the knife out just, just under the table. And Dave does start to stand up or maybe lunge forwards, but Joseph's like, nope, and just slits his fucking throat right there. <laughs> it's so quick and calculated. You're like, Mark Duplass has probably killed a guy before <laughs> in real life. So he's gurgling out blood there dead on the table. And I can't remember if Joseph even continues to drink the beer. I think he does. But more importantly, he's like stroking Dave's head. Yeah. He's sitting there dying. He's like, ah. <sighs> Why'd you have to make me do this, Dave? <laughs> like, okay, so he's still going and he's more fucked up. Title card. Right, right. And you really get the vibe that he really did like Aaron because Aaron was smart and defensive and tried to go against him, drugging him and shit like that. And this yeah. guy's just fucking naively falling for everything. Yep. Right. Cares more about him than he does himself. Like that's that's what Joseph even calls him out on. He wasn't a fucking challenge. Right. That's why Joseph's actually upset, in my opinion. So after the title card, 
we then see this montage narrated by Sarah. Mm-hmm. And she has a vlog called Encounters, where she meets up with Craigslist wackos, like we've talked about, that may be looking for simple conversation, odd forms of companionship, or mildly disturbing role play in a non-sexual way. Yeah. Which we see. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we have quick examples of all of this. And uh, it's pretty fucking boring. And we then cut to her looking at the footage from the last episode. Like, and this is where my shit fucking ends. Because she's like, right. I got nine views. The shit really isn't getting traction. And she's losing faith in her endeavor. Right. Honestly, though, I would think it's an interesting idea for a show. And I would oh, absolutely. I'm also a weird people watcher, though. <laughs> so she goes to bed deflated, and then she gets up the next morning, camera in hand, like, guys, sorry about last night. You know, I think I was just in a rough patch. We're going to keep moving forwards because I just found this. And it's a Craigslist ad that <laughs> says, looking for videographer, $1,000 for the day, honesty and emotional bravery a must, fans of Interview with the Vampire a plus. <laughs> Let's go deep together. <laughs> That's the kind of ad I would not reply to, but you know, whatever. She needs some fucking hits, man. She does, man. So after a quick round of texting, asking if she scares easily and what her name is, that's revealed to also be the name of the poster's favorite song, she heads off for the meet. And it really is that quick. Yeah. I'm interested. Okay. Do you scare easily? What's your name? That's kind of my favorite song. Every text yeah. message. <laughs> so, uh. She goes to what looks like a rental cabin in Gatlinburg. <laughs> and I say that jokingly, but something that kind of bugged me and the wife while we were watching, and I was hoping to find something about this and didn't like, there's an exit sign above the door. Once they're inside, there's a sign that says children must be supervised in the hot tub. Like the way the showers are set up. This is a rental place. Yeah. <laughs> like it's some kind of like not resort, but you know what I mean? But it was a rental place in the first one too. That's the thing. He rents these places out. Yeah. But, how'd you come? Yeah. But this one looks like it's part of a larger facility. And that's yeah. like, that's, I'd like to find out what it was. I'm sure it's in SoCal somewhere, but whatever. I will say that when my wife and I rented a cabin in the mountains in North Carolina last December, it had Mm -hmm. weird signs like it's a liability about don't let your kids do this. This is the exit. Like it looked like a business, but we're in a one room log cabin basically (laughs) that's fucking dangerously on some poles over a mountain. (laughs) Just like (laughs) Albert. So once she gets there, she finds the front door open. Pushes it the rest of the way open and heads in to find Joseph making some smoothies. And she's trying to talk to him and it's just. He's like, I can't hear you. (laughs) He's got that ponytail, man. Yeah. He's got that like mid nineties, greasy, sweaty, porno guy fucking ponytail going on. I kind of wish he had a man bun. I'm actually glad he doesn't. I think I like the way the ponytail dates this movie versus yeah. the way the man fun was. And, and it's just, once again, make you feel awkward in the situation. Like, this isn't right. Yeah, it's totally off-putting. Not in a bad way, but in a, like, this just isn't right. And he's got a beard now. Yeah, mostly. And do you know the story? The true story about why he's he's patchy there? Like, he accidentally nicked himself with yes. the razor and had to make up a bullshit line in the movie? Yes. But once again, it just adds to the creepiness because that's a huge bald spot. Yeah. Fucked up. Like, I would have just waited filming for two weeks for it to grow back in. Uh, but that gave him the next thing to write into for when he tells the story about catching the fucking body lights. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> we're ahead of ourselves at this point. So he's like, hey, do you want a green smoothie? And she's like, sure. And he's like, here you go. It's poisoned. And uh, <laughs> he says his name's Aaron. So Sarah asks Aaron what his story is as they sit down on the couch to really go through what this whole 
film me for a day thing is going to be. My story, um, I am what is commonly known as a serial killer. Um, I don't love that nomenclature. I sort of consider myself a murderer, but uh, my numbers are such that I am now classified as a serial killer. And that's why you got to be a fan of Interview with the Vampire, because you're going to not be scared when the guy says, I'm a fucking vampire. Yes. Right? And uh, he also says that since reaching 40, he feels like he's fucked himself in the head and lost what made him great. He describes how gutting men open used to reveal the universe to him, but now it just feels like a job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and that was what I was talking about, the next logical step. He's not doing the same thing. He's actually wanting to make his memoirs about being a fucking serial killer. That's what Joseph would do. Yes. I'm totally down for it. <laughs> But he does say that there was this quote from Coppola about basically embracing the suck, talking okay. about where he was in his career and like, you know, I've, I'm never going to make another original film again, blah, 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 blah. And uh, that if that's where he is, he might as well document it and just have it for posterity. So all this happens fairly quickly. And he's like, uh, okay, I know I just unpacked a lot. And uh, Sarah, if you want to just take the money and leave, I can understand that. But if she stays... He promises that he will not kill her in the next 24 hours and that he'll give her the deepest personal access to his soul. <laughs> the 24 hours is oddly specific. Yes. Yes. That's the, if you're writing, if you're watching this for the first time, that's the first time you make a note. <laughs> <laughs> what time is it on the clock in the background? I do not know. <laughs> so Sarah says she's totally down. We then cut to a TV showing the murder of Aaron. Like we know as soon as it's framed up what it has to be. Yeah. And of course, Aaron, and I'm saying that with air quotes, is sitting in front of the TV and he's whistling the song. And every time Sarah tries to say anything, he's like, well, well just, just wait. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because they could have taken this movie one of two ways. You could have had him act like he's a serial killer, but he's doing the crazy thing again. Right. And she's interviewing a guy that she doesn't think is actually a serial killer and he's crazy. Or you could have done it where he's showing you his murder videos and he's actually telling the truth other yeah. than his name and identity. And they went that route. But I think either one of them would have been entertaining. But Sarah has to go through both. She, it, they play off of both of them when yeah. we've got to wait on her to decide and they both work. I don't like art films. I was going to save this for the end. These really are more art films than anything else that yeah. we've covered. And I'm okay with this because it's got a horror tether. I, it, it's relatable. Let me put it that way. Mm -hmm. But the psychology of this, I fucking dig. So they literally watch the murder <laughs> of Aaron. Yeah. And air quotes Aaron. Don't worry. We don't have to do that for very long. Flips the camera around to Sarah and he asks, did he scare her? She asked if he wanted it to. And he spins the camera back around and he runs upstairs. Like she called, kind of called his bluff right yeah. out the gate. And that's what makes her character fucking work. <laughs> and then, she's like real tough and street smart. About yeah. All of it. And she starts to have a little bit of a freak out and she's like looking around the room and she's like, that ax looks a lot like the ax I just saw in that video. Yep. What the fuck have I got myself into? But Aaron comes right back to save the day wearing only a towel. Mm -hmm. And uh, he goes on a little, little diatribe about how there's this wall that's always between a man and a woman when they encounter each other. And what it is, is they're wondering what each other looks like naked. And he says that uh, they need this level of intimacy and they need to tear down that wall if they're going to continue on. <laughs> and Sarah says, okay. And Mark's like, all right. And he, you know, brightly lit full frontal Duplass kind of poses there <laughs> in front of the fucking fireplace. And, uh, Sarah's filming him, of course. And she says, okay, is it my turn? 
And he's got this look on his face like, what? <laughs> and honestly, he had that look on his face when he when he explained what he was wanting to do. And she's like, okay. Yeah. Like, he was like, oh, I can show my dick in a second. I freak you out, right? And then she just took it next level. Yep. She hands Aaron the camera. And uh, in my opinion, this is the first time that she already fully takes control and makes him uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the cat versus cat is what Duplass called this. Okay. We, we had cat and mouse the first movie. This one's cat versus cat. Definitely. Totally yeah. what it is. And uh, because as she strips, total no inhibitions, just starts doing it, he just zooms straight in on our face. Like, it's too much for him. Mm-hmm. Like, like he doesn't want to open himself up to that. Um, it shows great vulnerability in him. Don't know why. Is it sexual? Is it just the power struggle between two sociopaths? I don't know. But it's already very obvious that she's she can stand against him, in my opinion, at this point. And I think that's 100% what it is, though. I think he likes to always be a step ahead. And he he can't with her because yeah. she's not scared of anything he does to throw her off. And then she can counteract it in a way that he's like, I did not see this coming. <laughs> so then she's like, well, are we done? And he's like, yeah. And she takes the camera and she goes into the bathroom. And it's at this point in the movie that until it got to right here in first watch that my brain's going, she is stupid, just like Aaron, and she deserves everything that's going to happen to her if she just thinks this is a crazy guy on Craigslist trying to scare people. Right. And she fucking spins the camera around sitting on the toilet and updates her vlog. Sarah, every red flag you have has been raised. Um, he is highly unpredictable and potentially dangerous, and you were not there for 10 minutes before his dick was in your face. Sarah, you were not there for 10 minutes before his dick was in your face. He's everything you've ever wanted in a subject. You have to chase this. And like, boom, there it is. No, she knows exactly what's going on. And and she's just decided, oh, fuck, this is the content I need for my show. Right. She even goes on to say that she's 99% sure he's not a serial killer. But she's also not stupid and puts a fucking knife in her boot. Right. Now That's this, the street smarts right there to me. Yes. And all this is inner, not inner cut, but audibly is inner cut with him like, Sarah, are you done in there? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm coming. And uh, as soon as she comes out of the bathroom, Aaron tries twice to jump scare. It's that same shit out of frame. So loud. It's distorted. Scares me. And Sarah's just rock solid with the camera. Like, oh, hi. Yeah. Like not phased at all. All she wants to know is why does he have a patchy beard? And uh, he's like, oh, that's just, you know, some beards are different than others or some some bullshit, at least at that point. And the next thing we know, they're in a car and he's thrown on the mask and they're driving off into the woods. And he's like, does my mask frighten you or does my mask scare you? Because he likes the word scare. And uh, she's like, as a passenger in the vehicle with you driving. Yes. (laughs) Um, But it's still not working. Right. Well, what if I told you that at the end of this road, I was going to cut off your head and snuggle fuck it? So, uh, Sarah is obviously already starting to try to break him at this point. Like, okay, it's repetitive. Does this scare you? Does this scare you? I'm trying to jump out. Like, she's yeah, she's so fucking smart. She's seeing through it, and she starts looking for angles. And uh, they're out of the car. They're walking off into the woods, and she's asking things like, do you believe in God? How do you think he would feel about your life choices? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um did you have a lot of friends growing up? Did you have any friends when you were growing up? Right. And he spins right around and he's like not into the friend question. And uh, they walk deeper into the woods and they come up on this really picturesque setting of where he wanted to do this shot of mm-hmm. this raging river. 
that's dwindled down to a piss creek. Right, and, right. Uh, and he's been building this this river up yes. as they're walking, just like telling the legend from the taco truck lady. Yes. Only this time, what you think you're going to get is a bait and switch. And like, oh, shit, now he's going to be mad. How is this going to go? Right. And she's like, Coppola. And he's like, what? She's like, Coppola. What are you talking about? Coppola. Like you told me about. This is where you are. You can't make what you want. Oh, yeah, yeah. Basically, what would Coppola do? But it's the same thing as the pancake shop where he forgot his own yes. lie. That's the thing. He's really bad at remembering his own lies. Yes. So uh, once they get, you know, they push on through that. And there's this. This is so fucking funny. So he's sitting in like two inches of water and he's got his he's got his hands up at like, yeah. like shoulder level. And he starts talking. It was 1978. And she's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm telling the story. Like, no, with your arms, what are you doing? It's like, oh, well, I figured the the visual effects will bring the water up to here. So this is just me floating. She's like, I don't think we need that. (laughs) And he gets mad about that. He gets mad about a plane flying overhead. Then he gets mad about this bird chirping (laughs) and starts throwing rocks at it and shit because everything's fucking interrupting him. It finally gets quiet. Oh, he has to get his ponytail fixed. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Then it finally gets quiet. And like six times he's been, it was 1978. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's finally quiet. He starts talking again. And then Sarah's like, hey, uh, you're in shadow right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, like she just took the natural setup is like, I'm just going to keep pushing his ass. Right. (laughs) So once Sarah interrupts him, he's really mad. Then she gets mad and he goes storming off into the woods (laughs) and she goes walking to find him. And, and she finds him face down like a weird yeah. cat that sleeps face down. And uh, instead of giving him more shit, she just kind of reaches for his hand and he reaches his hand out and they kind of hold hands. And, and he just says, don't leave me. So that night, Sarah says that uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny. So she's sitting alone in a bedroom and she's talking to the camera and uh, she says that Aaron has gone silent since this little breakdown at the river. Mm-hmm. And he's just blasting some crappy 90s jam band song on repeat. She knows he's vulnerable right now, and this would be a great time to provoke him to get the footage that she needs. Yeah. So she makes the decision to confront him, and she finds him in the jacuzzi, and he tells her to leave. Says he doesn't want to make the documentary anymore, take her money and go. And she's like, "Uh uh-uh, and turns off his fucking music. Right. (laughs) That really pisses him off. He's like, you need to turn that back on. She's like, no. It's like, why? And it's like, because it's the greatest song ever made, and I love it. And uh, she's like, why don't you tell me about it? And he's, he's like, I know what you're doing and I, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to tell you my story. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Like there's, there's a little bit of back and forth there, but he quickly gives in. And the story that he tells is that at 15, he was mesmerized by the live music of some obscure band. And he got to go in and see the show because even at 15, he looked 18. So he was there at 15. And uh, when they were playing, he was uh, particularly moved by the song, Sarah Loves Her Juicy Fruit. Yeah. (laughs) And he ended up partying with the band, even all the way on to their next stop, One Town Over. But after partying with the band, One Town Over, that's it. They were moving on. He had to go back home. And I don't remember if I put it in my notes because somewhere in here it gets brought up that what Sarah loves is her juicy fruit actually saying that to Sarah about what Sarah does is wrong too. And he's going to give her what she wants, even though it's wrong. So he's got to walk back home one town over and he gets picked up by some guy and the guy's like, Oh, you're going to be great. Or something along the lines of that is what the guy says when he gets in the truck. And uh, what happened was the man took him deep into the woods, beat the shit out of him, made him dig his own grave Mm -hmm. and tied him up to be buried alive. And he was amazed by the man, like everything about him. 
except for the fact that he wasn't very good at tying knots. And he managed to get free and choked the life out of the guy. And uh, he goes on this whole thing about how he felt his life leave through his hands and that he laid down with his body afterwards. Yeah. And that's how he got the lice that caused his beard problem or something like that. Because he goes on a quick little thing about how, you know, I absorbed something from all of my victims, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And this became my ritual that I would lay next to their body. And uh, <laughs> I believe what he's saying. I think Fuck he's yeah. telling the truth. This is what actually happened to him to make him the way he is. And it's getting a little too real. And he again asks Sarah to leave. And instead of leaving, she hops into the hot tub and just starts rubbing his shoulders and rubbing his throat like she's going to grab it. Right. And goes back to his shoulders. And his chest and stuff. And yep. it's so awkward. It is very animalistic. It's very primal. Yeah. But it is. It's like it's like two alphas. Right. Trying to feel each other out. It's also like a creepy incestual mama bear taking care of baby bear thing. Oh, yeah. I feel like. Especially after seeing her rocking the one guy in the, the Craigslist <laughs> montage. Yeah. They're like, but that's the thing. Like, I was going back and forth between she's fucking crazy and she's fucking smart. And like trying to decide, did the movie tell me whether or not to believe either one? But if you start thinking like she's only four episodes in, but she's been going and meeting strangers and yeah. playing along for content. So is she just doing that thing that some people do in very, very bad situations and just turn it off and play along just right. to get it over with? So she's she's got the tools. Like, I, I think there's enough there to tell us that it's okay that she does have the tools, right, wrong, or other. You know. I think she still thinks he's full of shit. But a small part of her thinks that it might be true. Yeah. And she hopes it's true because she's a fucking sociopath. And that's what I got out of it. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That's that's definitely where we end up going. So um, after the hot tub rub down, which is not sexual at all, if anybody's thinking that. It is, but it isn't. Yeah, like yeah. It, 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 They don't have sex. No, no, she's no. not naked. The word, it, it's intimate. Yeah, it's intimate. It's sexual to Joseph, I think, though. I don't know, man. I Like to her, I think she knows she's just calming him down and yeah. then he would like it and to him he thinks this is like he's found true love like in a way you know what i mean yeah, like yeah, he's yeah. in heaven he's that. in bliss yeah. right now just the way he's like moaning and going limp and shit it's, it's, <laughs> but it, it goes into mark being able to just be fucking creepy by being there yeah you know what i mean <laughs> and that's the thing in this one this is a lot more of mark having to react to des mm -hmm. versus uh patrick having to react to, to mark in yeah. the first one yeah yeah, yeah. So after the rubdown, we cut to Aaron thanking Sarah on her camera like he has it now. And uh, you can hear the shower running because I think that's how she leaves the hot tub. She's like, I'm going to go take a shower. And so he's got the camera. And remember that later. But he shows a knife to the camera and heads towards the shower. And he gets right up to the curtain and he goes to yank it open. And Sarah jumps out with tape all over her face, scaring the shit out of him. Yes. It's so good. <laughs> And they drop to the floor, growling and howling together. Yeah. He does like he did in the first movie where the switch has been flipped and he starts doing the growling and shit. Yeah. And this time she's like, yep, me too. And he doesn't know what to fucking do. And I really think it's two different levels of being a sociopath. Like he's the kind of sociopath that's like a serial killer. And she's the kind of sociopath that ends up being like a CEO or a politician. Right. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. can blend into any situation and is also just not fucking afraid of anything. Yeah. Right. Right. So they're like on different levels, but it makes them like an arch nemesis and, and perfect combatant for one another. Right. Or the world's scariest power couple. Ooh. Hey, there's an opening when, you know, 
Bill and Melinda Gates seems seems to be over. <laughs> Who's going to take up the torch? <laughs> so after this growl howl session, we <laughs> immediately cut to a game of hide and seek in the basement. And I keep knowing I'm wrong calling him Aaron, but I can't help it because that's yeah. that's how she knows him. Um, and and Aaron's walking around with the camera. He's, he finishes counting. He's like, where are you? I'm going to find you. And then, boom, she jump scares him again, slapping on a fucking window, pulling one of his moves. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we then cut to this weird bit of bonding where uh, Aaron's chopping wood. And then it goes on to him shooting pool while Sarah's asking him different questions. And while he's chopping wood, she's like, so, uh, you know, while you've got that that axe, does any part of you think about just bashing it into my face? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, basically his response is kind of. And she's asked, do you ever feel remorse? And he's like, well, kind of. And it's all leading up to, you know, his favorite person before her that he refers to as buddy. Right. (laughs) And uh, that with Buddy, he even set up a prop for him. He left this axe out for him to see stuck into a stump. And he knows that he's not going to kill her because he never lies. And uh, she says what the whole fucking audience is thinking. She says, well, not in the next 24 hours. And he's not happy about that. He's not mad, but he's not happy about that. He realized that that she caught on, right? And... I don't know. I think it's really interesting with the Aaron thing. I've been I've been trying to figure out a spot to say this. So sorry for interrupting you, but I think it's neat that he's going by Joseph in the first movie, and he goes by Ben at the end, right? Yeah. And now he's stealing Aaron's name, but when his sister Angela calls, she asks for Joseph. Yes. So Joseph is his real name. Yes. So why did he use Joseph and then start using nicknames? I don't know. And I didn't know where to bring that up, but this is just a good point right here to do it, I think. And it's weird because his next victim is Dave. So it's not like he takes on the name of the next victim. Right. That's what you would think. Yeah. yeah. But he does also, Dave is his, I've lost my magic kill. Yeah. Where he comes to terms with that. So maybe he chose that name to go back to the last kill that actually thrilled him and yeah. and and felt right. Or for some reason he learned to not use his real name with Aaron. I don't fucking know. I don't know. <laughs> Or they used five-page outlines to make movies, (laughs) and shit doesn't always connect. But believe it or not, this is the third act. So uh, this bonding thing is continuing on, and uh, the two of them start to have some wine. And Aaron starts talking about this book that he read, and uh, that it goes over how journalists will sometimes lie to get closer to their subjects. And this is really him starting to get the upper hand again. Yes. Because she said it the whole fucking movie and he's realized what she's doing and he's letting her know that he realized what she's doing or has he known the whole time and he's been letting her, I, you could go so many directions. <laughs> he's a shit. double, double agent. <laughs> no, no, no I'm, I'm, I know it's not a ridiculous way I was saying it, but what if he like, knew oh no, all no, this I get what you're saying. And he let her think she was getting the power. But he knew the whole time, or he just caught on. You could go either way, and and he's still a scary fucking contender, which is hot to think about Mark DePlus. <laughs> but he does. He's talking about how, like, this is something that's done, and they don't necessarily lie, but they've been the truth just to get shit done. And that's yeah. exact, that book is exactly what he was thinking about when he saw Encounters. And she's like, what? And he goes, oh, yeah. I know a lot about you, Sarah. Yeah. And it's like, uh-oh. This is the first time that, like, we feel creeped out by him like we did in the yeah. first movie. It's all the way 
not until the start of the third act. And uh, he's like, I know that you have a knife in your boot. But he says it's okay because uh, he's felt the truth from her today, from her eyes and her heart. Like, mm-hmm. like if, if, if we've had that today, then, you know, we can keep going on. And then he just flat out asks and he says he needs the truth. Do you really believe I'm a killer? And she says no. And he's like, okay, why? And she's like, well, your stories are ridiculous. And uh, what if I just took this footage to the cops? You know, mm-hmm. why would you do all that? That, that just doesn't make any sense. And he says, oh, well, that's not going to happen. Because after tonight, he'll be dead and she's going to kill him. Right. Like, whoa, whoa. Like he's setting up his protege, right? What fucking turn are we taking now? Like, yeah. I, I, it's almost too much what happens here at the end, uh, which is probably going to be weird. I'm probably going to hang on the end here more than I did the rest of the movie. And uh, he goes on to say it's going to be her best episode of Encounters ever. Yeah. <laughs> and like this is he's manipulating now. And and she's she kind of seems to be going along. Um, I do have one big problem with what's fixing to happen, but we'll save it for the end. So he puts the peach fuzz mask on. He hands her the ax and he lays down on the table Yeah, and just tells her to chop his head off. Like got it framed up. Everything good. You're right. Just swing down. It's nice and sharp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like just one solid motion. I think he even repositions to make it easier. Right. Yeah. And she can't do it. And uh, he's like, okay, okay. Well, how about this? The next thing you know, he's rigged up on a noose up on the balcony. And he's like, you don't have to actively participate in this. Right. You will just be an observer, but you will have to choose whether or not to intervene. Right. And before she can, she starts to talk and he just jumps off the balcony. (laughs) And she's like, shit. And she goes over and she gets him down from the fucking noose. Did a part of your mind or gut tell you that he had a harness on right then? Yes. Immediately. I did too. Yeah. But that brings me back to, we're going to go ahead and hash this out now. What the fuck was his plan B with the ax then? I think he was okay with her killing him. Okay. I think he was okay because he knew if she killed him at that point, she would continue on his work. She would absorb part of him per se, because she's heard enough of his story Yeah, to like get it. Right. And he could detect the, the sameness in them. Right. Like that. She was also like him in a way, but she hasn't become the killer yet. And if he could just make her become the killer, boom, I'm totally okay with, with, with him accepting the fact that that could actually be him dying right then. I don't think so much as to turn her into a continuing on killer, yeah. but to give Sarah her juicy fruit. That, yeah. That's okay. What, that's what she needs for the show. And like, like his song that may or may not be real that he mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there was some terrible song playing on the boombox. Yeah. If you're some indie band that's like really happy that that's you and it got into the movie, like you've done more than I've ever done as a musician. <laughs> so don't take it that way. It's just not for me. But no, no. In all seriousness, I, I think he was okay with her doing it. And who knows? He could have a FedEx box coming to her house with his entire footage collection <laughs> that he already yeah, sent yeah. to show her his work. <laughs> Could be, you know, but, but in all honesty, I don't think you rigged the ax or anything unless he did Leslie Vernon, the ax. Yeah. But I, I think he was okay dying if she okay. was willing to take that step. And since she wasn't, he had to go further just to see, you know, he might've made up at his mind at this point that he was going to kill her. Yeah. She didn't have the, the lack of a better word balls to kill me. She doesn't deserve to live. Yeah, yeah, that that that's very possible as well, which would make more sense with the rig, because he could just hang there to wait and see what she did and cut himself down. Right, he didn't have to commit one way or the other. He didn't that. have to commit. He already committed, gave her the chance. She backed down, so now he's in charge again. Okay, he's I'm the captain now. Yeah, right? yeah, right, right. Like he he's hit that point because he's obviously known he's losing the power struggle. He goes back and forth sometimes, right? Yeah. And he knows he's not always in charge, and now he knows he is because she's not willing to kill. But 
He is. Well, case in point, after the balcony, she fucking grabs her shit to leave. She's yeah. had enough. Yeah. Like, so that's it. He, you're right. He's He's got the fucking upper hand now. He's broker at this point. And uh, then it goes full manipulation. Hey, I had this harness on the whole time. I was just trying to give you what you needed for your show. Right. And he then says that he's not a murderer, just a sociopathic liar. And uh, Sarah fucking just straight up caves right then or plays along. This is her. We don't know. We don't. <laughs> and she says, uh, um, I used to play this game called Two Lies, One Truth, and I want you to play it with me. And she explains how the game works. I mean, he immediately agrees and she explains how the uh, how to work. And then he has to tell her three stories and then she has to guess which two are lies and which one's the truth. And he says he was born premature. He says he's never had sex with a woman. And he says he can hold his breath for two and a half minutes. Now, what's interesting is he says that he's never had sex with a woman is the truth. This opens up a very interesting Pandora's box unless you keep reading. He can hold his breath for two and a half minutes. We either go the whole rape story's a lie. Oh, I think it is because it was his sister. It wasn't even his wife. Or no, no, no. That's that's the scary thing about that. Okay. I it is a scary thing, but I think he completely made up that story. Or did he just randomly go out and rape some woman and then turned it into part of okay. the story? That that would be more likely than his sister still calling him after that happening. Yeah. Cause the name was his sister's name. Yeah. But I honestly think he made up a lie on the fucking spot just to keep the story going, just to keep the story going. He needed a name and what was more accessible than the only relative he has that will still talk to him. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, but I was stuck on that bathtub scene was pretty impressive. Yeah. How long can he hold his breath? <laughs> There's a couple times in this movie from this point on where I thought the holding the breath was going to come into play. Oh, really? Like even when we're in the woods with a grave dug in a minute. Right. Like you could have used it there. Yeah. yeah. But uh, with the I've never had sex with a woman being the quote unquote truth, we go into a bit more detail of his past. And uh, he said that uh, he had his first psychological break when he was 14 and was institutionalized by the time he was 19. And that it just never happened for him and that he'd never even had a kiss. And Sarah's like, okay, I'm going to kiss you. Right. And just does it. So the two then head off into the woods to shoot the ending for the documentary. What might that be? Will Snuggle fucking be involved? (laughs) (laughs) So Aaron gives Sarah a locket and it's got a picture of him and Buddy in it. (laughs) (laughs) And he even comments on how, uh, sorry about the pictures in there, but you showed up fast. Right. And, and of course, it's the locket that we already know about. The, yeah. Uh, you didn't keep my locket locket <laughs> from Aaron or for Aaron. Then he spins the camera around quickly to reveal a pre-dug grave. Right. And he then whips out her knife that he stole from her boot and continues to film Sarah as he's like, I know how we're going to end your in the documentary and start stabbing himself yeah. out of frame. <laughs> And she's got a look on her face like, oh, my God, this guy's more crazy than I've given him credit for. Right. Really good. Good look on her face. And uh, (laughs) he's like, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to stab each other and we're going to die together and we can just crawl into the grave like Romeo and Juliet, leaving the tapes for someone to see the history we've made together. Yeah, she's not down with that. No, no. Like, like, it's like, I think this is the moment where for sure she goes, he's killed 39 people. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> this is where she figures out that he's been telling the truth the whole time. And uh, 
He's like, look, I'm not going to hurt you. And hands her the knife. She takes off into the woods. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a sane person. And uh, we've, we now we're, we're following Aaron or Joseph, you know, whichever one you want to go with at this ben, point. Who the fuck ever. Ben, uh, carrying the camera through the woods. And he's like, where are you, Sarah? And he's kind of hobbling around because he just fucking Billy and. And, and Stu. Thank you. I was going to say he got a little too zealous, <laughs> cut himself too deep, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, she fucking pops out from behind a tree, and the camera falls to the ground, and the two take off into the darkness. Right. But Aaron quickly catches her, and we barely see him in the darkness stabbing the shit out of her. Yeah. We cut to Aaron putting Sarah in the grave, and he crawls to the camera, because he's, like, bleeding out. Like, oh, he yeah. stabbed the shit out of himself. And uh, <laughs> he crawls up to the camera, and he says, he's not going to die tonight. He says, Sarah should be proud of herself because she made a great episode. He says he really thought he was never going to kill again, but she inspired him. Meanwhile, which (laughs) I never thought I was going to say in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) You can't go one without doing it, man. Sarah crawls out of the grave right behind his ass while he's saying all this and bashes him in the back of the head with the shovel and runs off. The mistake she made was not cutting his head off with said shovel. Yes. Like a snake. Yes. It's a horror movie. You got to dismember the motherfucker. Mm-hmm. That extra shot to the head, whatever you got. So uh, it fades to black and we suddenly cut to New York City. Like People walk around near Central Park and we see it's Sarah in this crowd of people and she's being followed through the city and uh, she eventually makes her way to the subway and someone's sitting across from her on the subway kind of looking at her and she's looking down and we hear uh hear Aaron whistling the wolf song yeah, and then throws on a, an extra at the end of it. And she looks up right at the camera right after that credits. And she has a, Oh fuck. I'm dead. Look on her face. <laughs> yes. Cause she looks very upset. Like sitting there before she realizes he's there. Like she's obviously in a state of depression yeah. from the events. And then she's like, Oh God, he's fucking got me. Yeah. Cause I don't think I feel like not a lot of time has passed. Um, this isn't like, Three years later, or anything. This is no. This is like six weeks later, Max. Is what I'm thinking. I mean, she would have had to have had some recovery time from those uh, stab wounds. Yeah, yeah. A few quick things, and I know, I know, you've got some stuff you want to go into on this. I gushed enough through the movie. I don't need to go there. I really like coming from a strictly horror angle. How we have the setup of Sarah to be the final girl, who's not the final girl, but who ends up the final girl, who's not the final girl. Right, and I. I seriously mean that that long. Oh, I got you. I followed you <laughs> the whole time there. With regards to both of the movies, they're they're like watching a car crash in a <laughs> good way. And the movies aren't very good in a good way. There's not, oh man, you got to see this movie. There's like, this blows up and like this happens and like the, the gore is so good. And like, it, it's more like Blair Witch or Paranormal. It's more like where we, you know, when found footage was like new yeah, and it was this whole shoestring budget of what can we make the audience feel and think and really put them in the headspace of these characters instead of waiting for what the next trope is or what right. the next action beat is. These really do that in a way that I haven't seen since Blair Witch in the first Paranormal Activity. And with regards to Paranormal Activity, I like what this does better right. about how it makes me feel being along for the ride. People always talk about the found footage subgenre, and really, you only have a few good ones. You had Blair Witch, you had Paranormal Activity, and you had Cloverfield. And I can't tell you another good found footage movie in that huge window right there. Host. Host is new, though. I'm talking yeah, yeah. about what everybody always talks about, the found oh, footage okay, okay. era. There really wasn't that many good movies. No. And I... 
it's weird. I was going to say I completely disagreed with you when you were explaining the movie as a car wreck and this and that, but then you said you confused me. And I mean, that's <laughs> that means you like the movie, I think. But this is a movie that I tell everybody they have to see. This is a movie or movies rather that I think are like ingeniously made. And I'm like, oh, you got to see how fucking well thought out these movies are, which in a way they are in a way they're not because they're just filmed over a long time period of time with a lot of winging it with yeah. really creative people. But I do think these are fucking great, amazing movies that really did something original with something that shouldn't have been. And honestly, I can say I haven't seen this before, like the no. way these movies are portrayed. And I don't know. I, I do recommend these, but they're also very weird and artsy at the same time. It, it's weird. And, and I get where you were saying, like, it doesn't really hit all the mainstream categories no, of what's all awesome. it. it doesn't and i feel like somehow they took what should be a really taboo topic and put everything in there and made a little bit for everybody yeah and they did it without going the fucking michael bay route that's yeah that that's what's so amazing to me and that's you're not gonna ever get the michael bay route out of mark duplass though <laughs> you're gonna get like a movie like this i feel like well and that's why i use the analogy of a car crash and i and i, I mean it like when you're driving past a car crash on the interstate yeah. where you know this is horrible but i can't look away why because i might see a dead body do you yeah. want to see a dead body do you seek out seeing a dead body no but it's like i gotta keep looking just to see what happens right and that's how these movies feel it's like there's no, there's no, there's no action to keep you going. There's no comedy to keep you going. There's no, oh, but what about that other character right. who's going to show up? But why do you keep watching? Because it's that fucking intriguing. And there's a relatable aspect that anyone listening to this episode, and Josh, I'll use you as my example because you're right in front of me. None of you can say you've never been in a situation where you met someone and it was so awkward you didn't know what to do. And... <laughs> You just had to kind of play along with it for the ride yeah, and see where you went. And I don't care if you're talking to a stranger you met on the internet or a customer, right, in your job. Oh, yeah. Or or anything. We've all had to try to relate to somebody that you can't actually relate to. And, and the second movie in particular are two people that are great at doing it yeah. <laughs> against each other. And a couple of things I wanted to say about your film before we end this and just talk about the movies as a whole is they always say there's a little bit of truth in every lie. Right. Yeah. And I feel like Joseph is telling the truth most of the time. And I also feel like he's very specific a lot of the time. And I think like his origin story is true. I think the amount of people he's killed is true. I think a lot of the shit he tells Sarah is true. I think when he says I've never had sex with a woman, He's being very specific there because he always is. So does that mean he's had sex with a man? Does that mean he's had sex with corpses of his victims, which might have primarily been men? Does that mean he was actually into bestiality and he's the one that made the internet slow and his sister is the one that complained to the tech? Yeah. Right? Like, like you could go so many places with that. And that's the best part of this, like the shape in Halloween. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. Right, right? So it makes it fucking creepier. Yeah. Which fits into the name of the movie. But I feel like most of what he said is true on some level between the two movies, but you really get it in this one because who would have thought the sequel would have been him interview of the vampire style telling a reporter his story and I killed these people and this is how I did it. I would have never thought it went there and it did and it, it fucking worked and that's how you make a sequel to this movie. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. No other way to do it. Knocked it out of the park. And I agree with you. He's telling his truth. Yeah. Um, I think is, 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 is the clear way to say that. Um, and at the most base level though, you have to also remember that he's a sociopath and could be fucking lying the entire time. Exactly. And that's the silver lining of this film more than the first <laughs> one. I feel like, cause this is the one where he's saying he's a serial killer, yeah. right? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's well, he's vulnerable. Yeah, that's the that's a huge difference between the first one and this one. Or is he like, I, I feel like the movie bait and switches you a little bit like you think he's vulnerable and he's got his match. But I feel like by the end, you figure out that he's thought ahead of this three moves and he's played it along the whole time. And that's what's fun about it. I don't like I don't know if he's been that way the whole time and it just played out or if it really was right. One upsmanship between the two of them till he ended up on top. Right. Right. And and it, it kind of does a bit of both. I feel like I hate, I hate seeing that like a cop out, but like you feel like it might've been that way at some point, And then he finally got the upper hand and then he played into her a little bit, like made her think that he was just fucking yeah. a different kind of crazy than he was, but he caught on to her at some point or she's just as crazy as he is. I mean, that's the greatest <laughs> part about all of this. And 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 that's why I like the second one more than the first one. The first one's a fucking amazing movie, but this one just went so many levels deeper. Yeah. And it really makes you wonder where's the third one going to go? And you can also see why Mark is like holding it so close to his chest and like scrapping ideas for the third one and wanting it right. Because he does, in a way, have to one-up himself or at least keep it going natural like it is. And I feel like one option they could go is that he does end up making Sarah a killer, right? Like, with him. And he's made her crazy at this point, right? And he doesn't kill her. Like, we find out he didn't kill her at the at the end of this one. And And what if you just cut to a couple trying to get a videographer to come and do something? Right. Yeah. Like, like, and they're, they're acting like a couple now. Well, she talked about as, as a videographer, he's like, well, what do you film? And she's like, well, like weddings, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So there's, I'm just saying there. like, like, like what if like the next movie you see somebody getting called and getting a job, just like Aaron and you go to it and it's both of them. Yeah. Right. Right. Or it's a place wanting to get recorded. I don't think they'll go that way though, because I feel like that's more of, of the obvious direction that big studio would go. I'm honestly kind of hoping we start off like him playing his murder video of her, just like we did with Aaron, right? Okay. And she's gone, right? Even though I love her character, but like she has to be gone for this to go to the next level. And he's doing the same shtick, getting somebody to come and do the video with him. But it's actually a crazier person than him that's a serial killer that tries to find people to kill them. I would like that much better than what they've hinted at because they've hinted at a prequel. And this is no. not the right kind of series to fucking do that with. I don't need uh, to know why Joseph is crazy. Just like I didn't need Rob Zombie to tell me why yeah. Michael Myers was crazy. Well, and that it also means that you can't put your lead in any kind of peril because you already know it's a prequel. Right. No, you already know where it goes. That's I origin stories can work. Not here. I want them to finish the trilogy as an actual trilogy. And we see the next step. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. And, and Joseph's demise. No, and no, then, I totally agree. And then if three years later, they want to give us a different actor that Mark is cherry picked to play him younger. Yeah. With the first experience and just make it a different kind of movie where it's more of like a drama thriller thing. Like yeah. seeing his experience getting kidnapped after the show. I'm okay with it, but <laughs> I need you to wrap this up with crazy Joseph as is. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And I, Who's to say that some other fucking crazy didn't end up with the tape and yeah. Sarah just looked up and saw somebody who knew the song from the tape wearing a fucking wolf head and whistling with a camera. Oh, I didn't even think of that. It might not be Joseph. Yeah. I hate to say that because it, then it means no Mark 
potentially no Mark Duplass. Yeah, but we could get Jay Duplass. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I don't, as smart as they are, I really hope they, they don't, like you said, they keep writing and going, right. that's not it. That's not it. Don't, don't settle. Fucking take five years making it. I don't care. Don't settle. And I think they will do that just because of the way Mark is able to release shit. This was really fun to cover. And I, I think it's fascinating because we had no clue what franchise to go into. <laughs> the last episode was super late due to being cursed. And we hadn't even thought about it. We just had to pick something random. And we picked Creep only because it would have been easy because they were two short movies. Yeah. And then I go in and I start the first movie and I get about 10 minutes in. And I remembered how much I liked these two movies. And it went from being an easier project to... This could be long due to it being dialogue heavy. <laughs> and I'm going to have a lot of fun doing this because I forgot how smart these movies were. These were movies that I, I saw Creep twice and I saw Creep 2 once, right? Before okay. the podcast. And I should regularly watch them. And I guess I honestly, if you think about the time frame of when they came out when we started the podcast, I haven't had time. True. And I don't know. They're just like really fun and really smart. And honestly, I'm never going to make a new tier list, but I got I feel like they got to fit somewhere, right? <laughs> and it's it's interesting because these are the kind of movies where I'm like, I can't say Creep 1 or Creep 2. Like, if I actually did a tier list, I'd say the Creep series. Yeah. Right? Because they play together so well. And big studios can make good movies. I know we, we say shit all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we both like big studio movies. But this is the kind of shit that you can only get out of true indie work. Yes. And indie work with money thrown behind it, too, which... You don't get a whole lot of. Yeah. And, and and I mean money loosely. Mark Duplass is a pretty accomplished writer, director, and actor at this point that would be probably pretty expensive to get on a project. Yeah. Unless he's doing his own project. Yeah. Exactly. And then he just writes off his time. Right. Right. <laughs> and and that cuts the budget down a good bit as well. But you're still you get Mark Duplass for it, right? So so it's like you're 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 paying for that. And you get his brother's expertise with it. And he's just Seems like he's a guy that'll talk to a brick wall, right? And he even makes that joke in an interview, like I said earlier, that he can like manipulate his personality 10, 20% in any direction yeah. to, to talk to somebody. And he's going to continue to keep meeting filmmakers because he lives in fucking Hollywood. And yeah. I don't know. I just think that's awesome. Like, I feel like the world needs a Mark Duplass. I'm really glad that he's friends with Jason Blum so that we can get horror movies out of it. But honestly, I bet he's friends with people in all sorts of genres. Yeah. And he can probably help filmmakers anywhere get introduced as long as they got a good story. Yeah. And he has a good time hanging out with them. Yeah. Two, uh, two really fun movies from a dark comedy angle, number one, and then the psychological angle, number yeah. two, which is, which is really fun to dig into where, you know, it's, it's dabbled in, but that's the core of these two. And that's why it works. But that's it for this creepy-ass episode, so you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode where we cover James Gunn's horror body of work. Well, now, that is some fucked up shit. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online, and please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbyspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both still at SBIS Podcast. This might motivate us to use it more. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening.